the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Well, we're at CPAC, hanging out, partying with 10,000 other conservatives. I love every moment when I come to CPAC. I just have a great time. I've made many, many, many friends here over the years. This is my 11th year to be here, so next year it'll be uh, uh, an even dozen. So we got to come back. I'm going to come back a day early next year so I can go to Grover Norquist's uh, Wednesday get-together that he has. And I want to take Russ and I want to take Val with me uh, to that. Because if you want to know what's going on all across the country about taxes, you go to one of his meetings that he has on, on a Wednesday. All right, Matt Hurt is here. Tim Phillips is going to join us from AFP as well. I ran into him in the, uh, the hallway today, asked him if he'd come over. He said about quarter after. He'd sit down and spend about 15 minutes with us. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. So, Matt, you come over here. Do, do you do uh, interviews with the, the other radio stations that are around here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the last time I was on the show back in January in Little Rock, yeah. uh, we are across the country talking about the Grassroots Leadership Academy. Uh, I did a podcast with a young man this morning, a young 16-year-old from Savannah, Georgia. Oh, that's who's, cool. Who's trying to get his start in radio and, and had a great opportunity. Did you to... tell him don't do it? <laughs> I Actually, I want to connect him with you. You're one of the, <laughs> one of the most well-respected talk radio show hosts in, 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 in the country. Country and, and to be able to see someone do it do it live, yeah. uh, I think would be a great opportunity for well, him. Tell him to come by. Sure. We'll be here tomorrow at 3 as well, you know, as far as that's concerned. So you, you tell me, how is the grassroots thing going? The last time we talked, you basically, as you said, we're trying to educate people on it. Are you getting some real good feedback and some good traction about it? Sure. Uh, and since we talked the last time, I've been across the southeast from Little Rock to Atlanta, uh, into North Carolina, down to Florida, into Mississippi and Louisiana, talking about the policies that we care about and how to articulate them. I was just here at CPAC yesterday, the first day of the activism boot camp, talking about um, speaking with those people with whom we don't agree. So people in the middle, people on the left, about the policies of freedom and how to make them palatable to people across the political spectrum. Very cool. Have you run into the uh, uh, author Charlie Sauer, S-A-U-E-R? Have you run into him yet talking about capitalism? I haven't, but there are dozens of fantastic speakers, thousands of great activists. It's a great networking and fellowship opportunity here. Now, you get a chance, you need to talk to him because he's written this book that's very, why do we do what we do is what it's called. And we do it because we want to make a profit. Mm-hmm. We want to be, uh, you know, capitalists. 
and uh, it's really interesting some of the things that he talks about. Well, and as we talk about it, uh, that, that profit motive is someone providing a good or a service to someone who needs it, and at the end of that transaction, both people are better off. Somebody is, and, is and li- they do it peacefully. Absolutely, nobody is coerced into into engaging with the dog walker who wants to make your lives easier, and and everybody everybody comes out ahead. Yeah, you know, for young people out there that that say, well, capitalism doesn't work. I go, you got a smartphone? <laughs> well, yeah, I say capitalism works. They make that phone maybe for a couple hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. They sell it to you for a thousand. Mm-hmm. They make it. They're making a profit. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're gouging you, or are you, are you just willing to pay whatever it takes to have that technology in your hand, and you're, and you're more than happy to hand over the money? And I knew ahead of CPAC just four days ago that my old iPhone, the, the screen was cracked, and I knew if I was going to be at CPAC, I needed to take good photos, uh, and I did. I, I upgraded, and I'm, I'm here you know, hanging out with you and, and all of these great activists and, and a lot of really other great broadcasters, too. Oh, yeah. This is the place to come. If you're an activist and you mm-hmm. want to get your message out, because mm-hmm. everybody is looking for people to talk to them, you know, they're looking to put people on. You just need to make sure you got a message that people want to put on their show, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So where are you? I mean, are, have you got more states set up or more cities set up where you're going to be going to do uh, these teaching programs like you did in Little Rock? Yes. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're doing the conference circuit here in D.C. is where I'll be. But immediately after that, I'm headed to Louisiana, where we'll be in, in Metairie, in New Orleans, in Baton Rouge, and in Lafayette. Uh, and then after that, I'm headed out to New Mexico for the That's weekend. Cool. And, and the, the, the entire month of March is packed. I think I'm home four days in March. Do you, do you get to go, when you go to New Mexico, do they invite you to Santa Fe, one of the most little I love Santa Fe. There's a great entertainment venue out there called Meow Wolf. Okay. Uh, and so I, I weave in some personal travel, and, and the, the green chiles in, in New Mexico are top-notch. Yeah, you better be ready for it, too. <laughs> if you're not ready for it, you'll have the next day will be a nightmare for you. I'm just, they, put, they put green chilies in margaritas mm-hmm. in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I was out there, and uh, a friend of mine had one and took the first drink. And I thought her head was going to explode. Wow. It was so hot. Wow. I mean, she turned beet red. Wow. <laughs> well, Dave, you know, I just want to thank you again for that opportunity in January. And we joked, you and I joked on the show and at the program about the little bit of snow that we were going to get. Yeah. It took me three and a half hours to drive from Little Rock to Memphis to catch my flight. 40 was shut down. Uh, you know, people were buying their, their getting their milk and bread sandwiches. Yep, and it absolutely. was just, <laughs> it was insane. But in the toilet paper, but that event that night, and, and with your help, you know, you, you you've done just a tremendous job cultivating, I think, your listenership and the and the the activists of Little Rock, uh, and having you there and, and and your staff and and about fifty activists was just a real blessing for us in Little Rock. Well, I, I got to tell you, the, the thing that's in, important about what you do is that you do it well. I mean, you're really worth going to hear because you know what you're going to say. You say it clearly, and when people walk out, they know what they've been taught. Well, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention Ryan Norris, the, the state director in Arkansas, who is just knocking it out of the park. He is. He, he was a great addition uh, for AFP. There's no doubt about it. I'm really, really pleased with what uh, Ryan has done for us uh, on, the, on AFP. We, we've been... Last year, we've been kind of floundering a little bit. And now you guys have got your your sea legs under you again. And 
you're really getting at it again. Well, and there's a tremendous opportunity for growth. He's staffing up at, at that level, and, and there are opportunities for, for your listeners to engage in that capacity to talk about what the American dream looks like and, and how they can go out and make change in their community. Okay, you got to be quiet now. Your boss is here. <laughs> and this, you know, you got, shh, shh, the boss is here. Tim Phillips is here. Let me just say, Tim, we met... 2009, wasn't was it? it? Yeah. I think yeah, it you was. guys were doing the bus tour and, and, and all of that yeah. stuff. And Against Obamacare yeah. and cap and trade. Yeah. yeah. You were like 19, <laughs> I was 16. You were kids. Basically. I wish, don't you wish? Yeah, I do. I mean, seriously, I, I wish. I don't ever want to stop doing what I do. Amen. I love what I do. I'm the same way. So let, let's talk about AFP. Uh, how have things changed? I mean, we fought and we fought. So that we would have enough Republicans to get done what we thought needed to be done. We've got that now. Now it's only like herding cats with Republicans. But, you know, the, the, this tax plan that they passed, huge. Yeah. This is huge. It's the biggest. It's the, I would argue it's the most consequential piece of legislation in at least two decades. I think it's that big. It impacts... Right at 80% of Americans are going to pay less in taxes. Crumbs. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm no. Sorry, Dave. You're right. If it's only a thousand, but and you think about all the job creation already happening, the bonuses, the pay raises. Yeah. Um, it's a consequential thing. We just finished a decade of the slowest growth. Yes, we did. In in American history. Well, let's go back two years, and they were saying the best growth we could ever expect again yeah. in America was two to two point four percent. I knew that was a bunch of, well, no, let me repeat, if Hillary had been elected, we would still be saying it would be 2 to 2.4%. We'd be doing great. No question about that. Today, we have one in three Americans aged 18 to 34 living at home with parents. That's the highest percentage since the GIs came home from winning World War II. <laughs> and what does that mean beyond a bunch of annoyed parents, probably, right? I mean... It means that we've had an economy growing so slowly, so much government regulation, red tape, taxation, that a whole generation of Americans aren't able to launch their careers, families, marriages. I mean, so much else. This administration, this Republican Congress with tax cuts and tax reform and getting rid of all the regulation and red tape gives a shot to break that cycle. They still spend too much money. You and I both know that. The That's budget, an understatement. The budget deal last year, yeah, to call them spending like drunken sailors is to insult drunken sailors. That's exactly right. right. The world over. But it, that was frustrating. But what they did on tax cuts and tax reform, what they're doing on rolling back and getting rid of regulation and red tape, Gorsuch, judicial nominations, uh, getting us out of the Paris Climate Accord, which is a nutty silly, uh, ideologically driven uh, approach uh, to the environment that Obama got us into. It's been some good, consequential stuff. And I think Mike Pence, Dave, Mike Pence said something this morning. What did he say? You guys probably heard this. He said, this has been the most consequential, productive year for conservative uh, policies since the Reagan era. Well, of course I think he's right. I think he's right about that. I think it's been bigger than the Reagan era. I don't know if I agree with that, but it's as big. It's as big. I mean, the whole thing with the the tax cut that we did was bigger than Reagan's. You know? It, it was bigger on the corporate side, the individual side. It's it's a little it's it's a closer one. Yeah. But on the corporate side, it's the biggest in American history. And that's going to just drive up, you know, every worker. We're already seeing it. Money. We're we're already seeing it. I and there's an old saying, you know this from sales. It wears out your your message wears out on the boardroom floor before it wears out on the showroom floor. 
I think a lot of us know it. A lot of the, the base knows the benefits of this law. We got to make sure we sell it, the benefits to the to Americans. And Democrats have a tough message. Did you see this guy from Kentucky, Yarmouth, one of the senior Democrats in the yeah. House? He even was quoted two days ago as saying, "Hey, look, we got a messaging problem. I mean, the vast majority of Americans are getting to keep more money, and we got a problem here. I mean, imagine you're having to defend that. So the other side's got some problems. And you didn't vote for it. Yes, and you derided it. You mocked it, as you said, Dave, earlier. Crumbs and, and pathetic and everything else. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi yesterday called it unpatriotic. Yeah. Let them keep going. Now, Let them know, keep going. She wouldn't have said that yeah. if it came out as a government check. Correct. Oh, and then it's compassion. Yeah. It's compassion if the government's doing it, but letting people keep. You know, but to, to the point about making sure we're driving this message, you know, people say, check your pay stub. 90% of Americans don't get a pay stub anymore. It's online. we got to make sure we're explaining this and selling this. We have one of the great products in a generation to sell. People getting to keep more money, more freedom, more bonuses, more pay raises, more jobs, more economic activity. We got to sell. And Andrew Breitbart, a friend of yours and mine, I miss him to this day. Got your Andrew shirt on. He used to say, if we cannot sell freedom and prosperity, then we suck. (laughs) All right? And and, And and that's the way he said it. He said it. I don't talk that way. That's how Andrew sold. (laughs) He's right, though, Dave. We we have an obligation, but we also have an opportunity. And, and And we complain about Republicans a lot. I know I do that about these guys in Washington a lot. They deserve it a lot of times. But they showed guts on this tax deal. They did. They stuck together. Good for them. They've gotten through more judges than any administration since the the first year of the Nixon administration, 73, or 69, excuse me. They've done some good things, and and we ought to have their back when they do good things. You know, really hold them accountable when they do bad things. But they had a really good 17. And we ought to tell the country about it. I tell you, at AFP, we're doing that. All right. Well, I want to talk with you some more. Don't go anywhere. You bet. All right, Matt. Well, I was just going to add with what Tim said, and, and, and this is breaking news on your program, Dave. The Grassroots Leadership Academy is about to unveil a presentation about how tax reform is working. Oh, that's fabulous. And so we're oh, yeah. working with a, a number of other foundations to take it out to, to activists in, in Arkansas and across the country about what it means when Americans have more money in their in their pocketbooks and, and less money going to Washington. Yeah. Did you, did you see the political report it? beginning of this week or end of last week that we've passed the 51% mark yeah, saw on that. Americans that think that this was a great thing to do. New York Times poll, which I'm sure probably bumped out the New York Times. Yeah, I'm sure it did. <laughs> but good for them for reporting it. I mean, good for them. We've got a great product to sell. We got to go out and do it. I'm telling you at AAP, we're doing that. We, we're on the air in state after state explaining the actual benefits that come from freedom, letting people keep more of their money. Uh, and there, there are many, and it's not just economic prosperity. It's the satisfaction that comes from, you know, earning a living and being more successful. And there's a measure of happiness that comes with that. Dave, you know that. Enjoy, genuine yep. joy. Absolutely. Um, so we're, we're all in on this thing. All right. So when we come back, I want to talk about 2018 election. Really. Got it. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So 20 after uh, 2 in Little Rock, 20 after 3 here on the... East Coast. So we'll be back in about four minutes here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, 324 on a, uh, well, 224 back home, but 324 here on a Thursday. And uh, I'm lucky enough that I, I ran into Tim Phillips. I love having him on the air. He speaks with clarity, and, and that's important. You got to yeah. know how to deliver a message. And Tim, you do it very, very well. No, thanks, Dave. I, I think a lot of times we get so bogged down. 
and numbers and charts and graphs, and we love them. And they have a place. Uh, sure. We want to be intellectually sound, obviously. Yeah. But we've also got to speak to the heart, right? I mean, the left is good at portraying villains and, and victims and, and, and usually is distorted and untruthful. But we've got genuine... Uh, we get great know, stories right we now. We do. We do. It's exciting. I thought the president in the State of the Union speech, Dave, I know you covered this. Yep. He did a good job of, of highlighting Americans, individual Americans, and their stories in a way that we had not done in a while. It was, it was powerfully done. Whoever put that together Since for him. the Gipper. Yeah. It was powerfully done. Whoever did that for the president, I'm sure he had a lot to do with himself. They did a great job on that. Yeah. I mean, all the optics that they had and everything, they did a really, really good job. Yeah. All right. So, I am highly positive about November of 2018. Now, I know everybody says, but Dave, history's against us. Well, hey guys, history was against us with Trump running as president. I'm just telling you, it, we, it was against us. It was a, a new era that unfurled in front of us. However, with this tax cut that we've just had, people are going to have more money to spend. They're going to be able to maybe go out and buy a new car, go on a vacation maybe with their family. Yeah. You know, maybe buy a steak once a week, which they've been eating dog food out of a can probably during the Obama administration. And that is going to resonate with voters. And it will resonate with Republicans and with what we would have called Reagan Democrats. Yeah. Now they're going to be Trump Democrats. Because they understand it. So you got the Democrats who all fell on their swords and voted against it. Yeah. You've got four, if not five, states that Democrat senators are ho holding on by their fingernails. Manage and uh, there in, uh, in Missouri, in Missouri yeah, right next to you in, in, in North Arkansas. Dakota, up there with High Camp. Was it Donaldson that's in, yeah, in Indiana. Indiana and Baldwin and Wisconsin? Yeah, they're in trouble. And yeah. they know Manchin just said he's going to run again a week ago. Yeah. He had to be talked into it. <laughs> Republicans have a pathway to hold those legislative yes. majorities in that. They have a pathway. History, though, does matter. Four of the last five presidents in the off-year election have lost more seats than Republicans can lose and still hold on to the House. And that does matter. You study history for a reason. You know this. You yeah, study history, yeah, Dave. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's a fait accompli. It just means all things being equal, it doesn't favor you, and it doesn't this year. Yeah. But the tax reform combined with what we just talked about, the other policies that are helping Americans, Americans' lives are getting better, Dave, and yes, that's what it's are. about. Politics isn't about who's up and who's down. Or it shouldn't be. It ought to be at the end of the day is who's being helped, who's living a better life, whether it's a kid or a senior citizen or a young. It, it, that's what it's about. And these Republicans have an opportunity now because of what they've done to say we're making life better for the vast majority of Americans. Put us, keep us in there. So they have a pathway to that. I do think that the, the big spending ways, and we've talked about this before, that they showed again last week, it, it does hurt them on the budget. But on the whole, they have a pathway to victory this year. Uh, History is against them. And by the way, people like to say, oh, this administration has historically low numbers. If you look at the job approval numbers for Obama, Clinton, and Almost Bush, the same. they're within a point or two. Yes. And so it, that's just a, a, a fallacy to point that. It, it's just the history of it. But they've got a roadmap. If they stick 
to explaining how their policies are improving people's lives. I can tell you in Americans of Prosperity, we're committed to doing that. We're in Missouri right now, right next door to you, with a, a multi-million dollar buy on television, pointing out that McCaskill, she stood with Pelosi and Schumer and didn't vote for that tax cut That's right. just for partisan reasons. That's the only she hates the administration. She hates Republicans. And why it was partisanship. That's wrong. But yeah. you know, it makes me mad because I'm from St. Louis. Yeah. My all my family lives there. So they're suffering because it's classical. Yeah. That's right. I can't stand that one. Tim, I got to get to Todd Starnes. Dave, it's always good, good to see you. Thank you for stopping you by. Good to I see appreciate you. God, or Todd. Tim Phillips here <laughs> on the Dave Ellswick Show from, of course, uh, Americans for Prosperity. And you know they were right. They were absolutely right uh, earlier when Matt Hurt made the statement uh, that, uh, you know, we've got a great uh, state chairman now uh, for AFP in Arkansas with Ryan Norris because he's got his game on. I love Ryan. He's got his game on. I'm just telling you, he really, really has his game on. And uh, we're going to see big things coming out of them. He he, he keeps it, the energy going. Up. You got to. Yeah, I mean, and I wasn't out gone for a while, but I was glad to see that Ryan had taken that position when I came back, so that I could work with him and work All with right. Pegan. Todd Starnes is up. All right. All right. CPAC 2018. Glad to be here, 11th year in a row that I've atten- attended here. We started off with a bang when we had Tim Phillips on. We continue that on with uh, Katrina Pearson, who is here with us now. Good to have you here. I appreciate you giving us the time to sit and Thank talk you. with Thank you. It's I, great to be here. I had some people that saw that you were coming on, and you, they said, wow, you're going for all the high-energy ones, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you, you're like me. You're passionate about what you believe, and that's oh, good. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, this is something that many of us in the conservative grassroots movement have been waiting on for a very long time. We needed someone that was going get to in, get in that White House and just start making stuff happen. And the President Trump is doing that. And as someone who saw in him long before the escalator ride uh-huh. that he was going to do it, I just couldn't be more thrilled. So what tipped you off before he rode the escalator downstairs and stepped in front of the mics to say, yeah, I really am going to run? <laughs> what was it tipped you off that was going to happen? Um, you know, I think intrinsically I knew. You know, I had spent by that time the last seven or eight years um, after being one of the original founders of the Tea Party movement, traveled all over the country, mm-hmm. training thousands of grassroots activists to get engaged in their local politics after challenging the fifth-ranking Republican in Congress. Now, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> i got to stop you here. Surely you're not a Tea Party person. I mean, you're a person oh, of yeah. color. Oh, yeah. People of color don't join the Tea Party, right? Well, they don't show that headline on CNN, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, we are out there. I know you're out. I've seen a lot. I was happy when I got it here. And And so I knew it, but I knew there was one, well, actually two key things about a potential candidate Trump could do that no other candidate could do. Number one, take on the media. Oh, he does that well. (laughs) No other candidate would have been able to do that effectively. They get scared if they get called names or they run and they hide. They're afraid of negative media. Not this guy. Well, he's a New Yorker. He's going to take him on, number one. Number two, listen to this one. You had to take on Jeb Bush. 
<laughs> no other Republican. Heir apparent. Was going to go after Jeb Bush the way that I knew a, a candidate Trump would. Well, if you, you know if he was going to run, he was going to run to win. Absolutely. And that's exactly why I knew when I saw him months before that escalator ride and he was just thinking about it. I said, Mr. Trump, I heard that rumor, that one about you running. Are you going to do it? He takes a deep breath and says, well, maybe I'm thinking about it. I said, oh, no, sir. You need to run because if you do, you're going to win. You're going to win big. And he says, you think so? I said, I know so because I'm going to help you. Yeah. And the rest is history. I'm going to tell you what. He reminds me so much of Reagan. Mm-hmm. Reagan, his first time around, it was a fairly close election with Carter. It wasn't a shoe-in by any stretch of the yeah. imagination. This election has been was close. I believe when 2020 comes, it won't even be close. I'm going to agree with you. And I know it's against the conventional wisdom of yes, the pundits today. But I'm going to have to call an audible again. I think you're absolutely right. I think that a lot of people see past the the, the fake news mm-hmm. out there. They know now that everything and everyone has been working against the president. And in one year, he's been able to bring wages up. Yes. Just with the thought of signing that piece of legislation. Companies are giving out bonuses, raising wages, jobs are coming back, they're investing in their employees. These are people at home looking at the news going, what planet are they on? And why would I vote for anyone else in 2020? Exactly. So I think you're right. I think it's going to be fantastic. This is year number one in the bag. He's done a great job. Yep. Year number two, he's going to do an even greater job because now we're going to be talking about infrastructure in cities that have been struggling for a very long time. By the way with politicians that have been around for decades and have done absolutely nothing. Good luck. And in cities that have been controlled by the Democrats, that their people live in just water positions in those cities. They're they're not rebuilding them the way they should have been. No, it's, it's really, truly sad. And the good news is President Trump understands that. Um, it's, it's the only time I've ever been on a campaign trail in, in these communities or in Pennsylvania or, you know, anywhere that you would think that would never vote Republican. And they say, he's like me. And this is a celebrity billionaire who can connect with a working class voter because he loves them, he understands them, and he wants their lives to be better. And he's even said that. He wants everyone to be able to be successful. And that first starts with a strong, solid community. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That's what a capitalist always believes. <laughs> right? <laughs> he wants everybody to succeed. That's right. Because if everybody succeeds, you buy more of their the materials. Yes, absolutely. Imagine that. Yeah, but we've had this constant drumbeat during the, the Obama administration, even during the Clinton uh, administration, that uh, it doesn't work that way. You know, that... Uh, you know, capitalism keeps the masses down. Capitalism <laughs> raises the, ma- the masses as long as it's not corporatism. Right. And that there's a very fine line between that, isn't it? Yeah. I think the phrase you're looking for, if we're comparing to the previous administration, is the difference between you didn't build that. Remember that? Yes, I did. So now you've got oh, a president that's an actual builder, right? Yes. Who right. is building that as we speak. 
and the contrast is so stark. I would like to see a Democrat run against wages, although Nancy Pelosi did call them crumbs. (laughs) And she did call it unpatriotic yesterday. I mean, imagine that. She's just a hateful, nasty woman. Crumbs, though. You know, I did the math on this, and that $1,000 translates into school lunch for a child over a year. Mm -hmm. Crumbs, she says totally not even on the same planet, guys. No, I mean, that I could be someone's not. electric bill and an elderly person, you know, or somebody's electric Car bill insurance. for a year. I mean, this is, they're so out of touch. Mm-hmm. The liberal left is so far out of touch. They're stuck in this ideology. And I think it's great to have, you know, a philosophy that makes you feel really good inside. And tingly. Yeah. But it has to translate. And then they say that we're, uh, we're out of touch. I think it's I think it's fascinating. But, <laughs> I but know. yeah, like I said, I'm, I, I can't wait to see well, these campaigns coming my, up. My daughter... Would love it if unicorns existed. <laughs> but she's smart enough to know that they do not. The, the, the Democrats don't understand that at all. No, they don't. And, in fact, I don't even think they believe their own BS. I don't think be they honest do with you. Well, they can't believe it. You know why they can't believe it? It's not true. Because Nancy Pelosi and those guys are protected by armed guards. Yeah. Yeah, you're right so about they that. They don't believe it. Well, they fly on their private jets, mm-hmm. contributing to the carbon footprint. They're all hypocrites. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's the bottom line. Well, you know, she drives me nuts. She drove me nuts for years. I was so glad when they took the gavel away from her. And I I do not believe the American public will give the gavel back to her. No way. Come November. Do you agree with me with all the great things that are happening in this country? I think that we hold the House. We might win, lose a couple of seats. I don't know. But we're going to gain in the Senate. No, I think you're right. I think, I think the rally uh, for Republicans, first, I think the campaign should be straight Republican ticket, period. There should be no other campaign slogan out there. Straight yep. Republican ticket. Or you're voting for Pelosi and Schumer. I mean, it just needs to go all the way down to the community level if they want to see any changes in their communities even. Um, but I also think that it's one of those things that, unfortunately people are going to have to deal with. You're going to have to get out there and they're going to have to vote and they're going to have to talk to their neighbors and say, hey, look, I just got a pay increase or my friend just got a job. People are getting jobs. This is unheard of. I do think you're right. I think we're going to keep the House. Might lose a couple of seats. Mm -hmm. I think we'll gain in the Senate because I think we'll gain five seats in the Senate. We need 60. We need 60 in the Senate to really get this show on the road. Get it running. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But if they would get rid of that that silly filibuster thing that they got going right now and went back to the I'm way the filibuster... I'm all for the nuclear fun. option. I'm yeah. on the record. All for it. Mm-hmm. People voted in November. The, the difference between Republicans and Democrats, when Democrats have power, they use it. Right. I'm all for the nuclear option. And they don't option. care either. They don't yeah. care. Absolutely. Yeah. You use it. You know, the Democrats, if they if it helps them, they're all for it. If it doesn't, then you're you're a crazy person, you know? This is our last chance to save our country. I agree with that, We've too. We've got to get it back on track. So I'm all for the nuclear option and whenever we need to use it. Um, the people voted in November handedly. And the president has not changed his position on immigration. He has not changed his position on lowering taxes. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And the people gave him blue states to do it. Right? Yeah. So he, now we just need to get it done. All right. We've got to get a break in. When we come back, I want to tell you something that Grover Norquist told me today that I thought right. was very, very interesting. Because a lot of people are saying, 
Trump wants to pass an infrastructure bill at one and a half trillion dollars. Well, it's not really that. It's three hundred billion dollars. Then he wants the states and he wants private business to get involved. But when we come back, how much will it change if we get the permit process changed? Now, we're going to talk to you because it's going to save you a lot of money. I'll tell you what Grover Norquist said in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show, live from CPAC, Washington, D.C. Stick around. We're going to come back with uh, Katrina Pearson for another segment yet here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, Katrina Pearson is here. And I told you, Katrina, I would tell you what Grover Norquist had to say about Trump's infrastructure suggestion to the Congress. Because that's all it is at this time. Mm -hmm. And then they will have to act on it to make it happen. He said it's a, it's a it's $1.5 trillion bill, really $300 billion federal and then the rest state money, but that's still tax money. Everybody needs to realize that. And then getting, uh, you know, government and, uh, you know, private business involved together. He made the statement that the biggest part of the infrastructure bill is about getting the permitting process under control. Mm -hmm. Right now, it can take 10 years to get a, a permit to build something. That's crazy. And Well, no, you think about how much money something costs goes up over a 10-year span. Oh, yeah. Inflation. So Grover said that if they can get it down to the two years they want and even perhaps get it down to one year, mm -hmm. that the savings of getting rid of the, uh, the process of the permitting would save us, are you ready for this, $6 trillion dollars. I mean, that's, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. And that's a savings of four and a half million dollars then. <laughs> it's, it's a number you can't even wrap your brain around. And, and you have to wonder why the process even takes that long to begin with. How many special interests have been involved in creating that process of legislation? How many lobbying firms have been employed to put all of these pieces of the puzzle in place to create that 10-year process? These are the things that Donald Trump, as a builder, is very familiar with. Yeah, it's very, you remember when he did the, uh, the visual several months back yes. showing the permitting process? Absolutely. That, he is one of the best thus far since Reagan that knows how to use optics so well that people can see what he's talking about. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, and, and a lot of conservatives, they get upset when they hear that number. And I do, too. But we also have to understand that we're in year one. We haven't even gotten to the cuts yet. And if I know anything about Trump, is he hates spending money that doesn't need to be spent. And he has said that on the campaign trail um, when he was hearing stories about what the government is paying for things like a hammer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was very frustrated. It's, it's insane that these processes have been put in place by a lot of bureaucrats and a lot of politicians who are taking care of their special interests. That's right. But now we have an opportunity to get a really good infrastructure plan put in place, eliminate a lot of that red tape, um, that permitting process, which is absolutely insane. Ten years. Could you imagine wanting to buy a house and, then and your builder said, sure, let's do it. How does the year, you know, 2028 20, sound for you? <laughs> right. 
it's unacceptable. It is. And it should be unacceptable at all levels. And now we have public-private partnerships that are going to be coming into play. There are so many communities that are finally going to be able to benefit from having a solid infrastructure plan in this country. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I really am excited. Now, when I say infrastructure, that doesn't necessarily mean roads. Right. Because infrastructure means basically anything besides roads. That's right. <laughs> so you're, you're looking at airports, airports and uh, things of that nature. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and so many other things can come from that as well. I mean, when you look at the stuff that HUD is working on right now, when you look at the things that labor is working on right now, this is a much bigger package than the average person would assume is infrastructure. There are so many things that this president is doing. And his favorite thing is if you're, if you're going to think, think big. And he really wants to make America great again. And that starts in the communities. It starts with making sure that we have safe airports and bridges. Things are falling apart. And from a builder's perspective, that's not a good thing. So it's definitely a priority for the president. So, Katrina, I want to talk to you about something, all right? Up in, in Congress, you've got the, the Black Caucus, mm-hmm. all right? who are adamantly opposed to anything Trump wants to do. Does the average African-American even listen to them? I don't think so. I mean, I know I don't. Um, Particularly my generation and those behind me don't even know who they are. Um, But what they do know is that their communities um, are really struggling and they're suffering. And it's, it's those communities that are impacted heavily by illegal immigration, by crime, by drugs. And there's one candidate that's come along and went into those communities and said, what have you got to lose? And his support so far up to this date has doubled now in mm-hmm. the black community. And there's a reason for that. See, that's important to, to know. I did not know that. that yes, it's I, doubled. I know that uh, the people who have been the Democrats against his tax cut, uh, the only there's only an 8% support when it first passed. It is now up to 19%. Yes, the support for President Trump in the black community has doubled. And I think that's just going to get higher and higher the more that we see that the needs of Americans and their children being put first over the needs of illegals. Um, that has a huge impact, uh, particularly in the black community. And no one really wants to talk about that. Um, but it, but it's, it's a grave concern to a lot of single moms out there who are just trying to raise their children. Yeah. And it's extremely difficult for them to do when resources are being shifted into areas outside of American families. And it's, it's really important people understand that you know what resonated with me was when they said black unemployment is at one of its lowest levels it's ever been at. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a member of the black community, that resonates with you. That means people are getting jobs, more jobs, better jobs. Well, and I think that's just proof that this is really politics. This isn't about of course it's this always isn't about, about Americans. That. It's not about making people's lives better. It's about getting what you want when you want it. Um, you know, if you're really serving the black community, you should be standing with President Trump and championing him on being able to bring black unemployment to a record low. That is an amazing thing for the black community. And a lot of that comes from his position on illegal immigration, which a lot of families in the black community support. Well, I'm going to be sitting down and talking to our attorney general tomorrow, Leslie Rutledge. She's going to come and speak here at CPAC about sanctuary cities. Mm -hmm. And if if you're a red-blooded American, I don't care what color you are, you cannot allow cities to just flaunt federal law and allow people to flood our country. 
No, that's that's absolutely right. And the fact that you have politicians that are actually advocating just that goes to show you that I think you and I are both on the same page when we're going to be just fine in the midterms. Yeah, I think we are. I personally believe, like I said, we may lose you know, a, a handful of seats in, in the House because I do know how hard it is. When uh, you know somebody's, you got three, all three houses, or all three parts of uh, the federal government as far as the House, the Senate, and and the, the White House. But I do know this: all the great things that are happening are tabletop issues that Americans worry about. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what? Most of the stuff that goes on in Washington, people look at and could care the less about. But when it comes to your take-home pay, mm-hmm. when it comes to can I go on a vacation with my kids this year, can I buy a new car this year, that resonates. And that's, In a big they're going to be able to do that. In a big way. Huge way. And now the Democrats are going to have to campaign on taking that away from people. And I just don't see that being an effective message. And it's... It's really sad in this country where we don't even have politicians who are campaigning towards American citizens. No, they're trans- they're There's doing it for their own mm-hmm, their own special interests on the Democrat side, and it's well, on you the sit de- back and you look at it and you just in disbelief. You know, they always talk about how we were so negative during the Obama administration in what we talked about, right? And in, in many instances, we were negative. Well, they're in the same position now. You got Pelosi saying it's crumbs, that it's unpatriotic to be given some money. Here's what she would have agreed with, and then I'll, I'll end it with this. If it had been a government check being given out, it would have been the best thing since sliced bread and canned beer. I'm just telling you. She would have been jumping up and down and yelling, Yahoo! But instead, it's their own money, so they yeah, earned it. Yeah, it's their own money <laughs> and that they're keeping. I mean, you just you have to How hear it them. to believe it. I mean, you just really can't believe someone would say something like that out loud. And, and, and it's just it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous that that even, you're you're just looking at her going, what? what? They live in a different dimension. <laughs> it is I'm Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Katrina, we thank you for coming. Yes, by. It's great to be here. It Thanks for having me. It has been truly, truly a pleasure to have you on thank here. You. Thanks so much. All right, let's take a break. Fox News is next. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. I was sitting here getting ready to go on with you, and a gentleman walks up and he goes, hey, Dave, Dave. And I looked up, and his name is Alan Lee, and he, of course, I don't have my glasses on, so I couldn't see more than four foot in front of me. And he holds his uh, lanyard up in front of me, and he's from North Little Rock. So, so tell me about how you feel about CPAC thus far. 
It's very interesting. This is our third time at uh, CPAC. Oh, good. So uh, we've come about every two years, and and um, it, it's always very interesting. A lot of very interesting speakers. Um, it, of course, it's you know the the very basic conservative theme of the whole uh, the whole uh, program. Right. And you know it's uh, it's uh, bread and butter to me. So. Let me ask, uh, as far as you said in there, did you get to hear Vice President Pence speak today? Yeah. yeah what did you think? Of, what did you think about his speech? It, it's very good, and actually, I I thought his wife just before that um, did a very good job, and she told her five little stories about things that people didn't know <laughs> about him, and that was really really fun. Puts a, a good perspective on on the vice president. He is an exceptional guy. He really, really is. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it go, we go a long way in understanding our culture when they make fun of him because he says he won't go to dinner with a woman if his wife isn't there. Yeah. I mean, that just tells me the kind of you know, character the guy has. Yeah. Well, you know, people, people want to pick on him for almost anything. You know, and... Uh, and that's that's kind of the nature of the uh, the major news media anymore is that you know and, and everybody's got to got to find something to find fault with somebody, and being a high moral person, they find fault with. I don't understand it. Now the the thing about uh, last week on the View when they mocked him because yeah. he said that he talks to God and God talks back, they acted like that's something unique. God talks to me too. Yeah, and and uh, apparently Martin Luther King decided to get involved because God told that's him to. That's right, he did. Yeah, that's so. Does uh, so interesting. Does Joey uh, uh, Behar think that uh, Martin Luther King was crazy? No, of course not. No, that's that just told, tells you a lot about Joey Behar, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. All right. So uh, tomorrow the president's speaking. What do you think you're going to hear tomorrow? <laughs> you, you know, you, oh, you kind of never know what you're going to hear. Yeah, you, know? you don't know what you're going to get, but it's it's going to be fun, whatever it is. Yes, it will be. And uh, so we got uh, we're looking forward to standing in the lines for security. So that's going to be fun too. Well, they'll come through at three o'clock in the morning and sweep this area to make sure everything's all right, so they don't yeah. mess up the morning shows that are going to be going on. But yeah, there'll be a long line to go through the metal detectors tomorrow, so get in and stay in. Yeah. <laughs> well, they've changed the way they do it every year, so it, it makes it interesting. It's a, little, it's a little easier this year. They, yeah. Because last year, man, it was a pain at times. I mean, yeah. a pain. Yeah, two years ago when uh, we were here before, they had all the presidential candidates. Correct. And uh, that became... It was just you know, it was just maddening trying to get in, and you wanted to go out to go to the bathroom, you know, after sitting for two hours waiting right. for something to happen. Well, then you had to stay in line to get back in again. And this year they've got it much better off. It's working out well. They got the area secured, and it's it's good. Okay. Well, Alan, you have a, a rest of a great CPAC. Yeah. I'm I'm leaving out on early Saturday morning, and then. Uh, I'll be back here next year. I, I saw the dates. It's February 27th, 28th, March 1st and 2nd. Yeah, and it's going to be a week later, so a week warmer. And yeah, since it's going to be a week later, the uh, elected representatives will be in town. They won't be on break. 
Well, that's cool. Yeah, that'd, that'd be give good. you somebody to talk to. That's it. Well, yeah. we'll do that. Thank that's you great, much, Dave. Alan. Appreciate you. Thanks for stopping by and talking to us. Appreciate that. Is this your lovely this wife? Is Mary here? Francis. Yes. Mary Francis, come here. Come on. Stand in front. Sit in front. No, she won't come and sit in front of my. Wait. You having a good time? Yeah, she says yes. Okay. Thanks a lot. Guys, we'll thanks. talk to you later. All right, Dave Ellswick Show here at CPAC. We were hoping to have John Lott, but he evidently went to his room to rest because he's been doing multiple interviews uh, all day long. Some of these guys come here and they're in such high demand, and, and Lott is one, especially since we're just over the Parkland, uh, Florida, you know, deal. Uh, the, the shooting that went on at that high school, uh, they want to talk to John Lott because John Lott is a voice of reason when it comes to talking about uh, things like gun control. So Cabot Phillips will be our next guest coming up at uh, 4.30. Uh, Justin Danoff is going to be on at 5 o'clock. Melanie Phillips is coming up at 5.30. Curtis Ellis, one of my favorite people, coming up at... Uh, uh, you know, I'm giving you Eastern times. Let me run this back. 3.30 and then uh, 4 o'clock and then uh, 4.30 is Melanie. Curtis Ellis at 5 o'clock and then we need to set up for 6 o'clock uh, because uh, we had, we recorded an interview uh, with uh, Kaylee from the RNC. So... Uh, we will. We might be able to get that back to Zach and get him to get that ready, so we can have her uh, her recorded interview that we uh, that we did. We'll go ahead and get a quick break here. We'll come back for more coverage of CPAC 2018. My thanks to AFP. I also want to thank Ed Monk uh, and uh, Last Resort Firearms for what they helped us out uh, to feed us while we were here. And it's uh, just been a great time. It's been wonderful. 10,000 fellow conservatives, most of them under the age of 30 years old. And it is great times here at CPAC. So 14 minutes after 3, take a quick break, come back. Trying to get the uh, producer of a new movie, the Reagan movie, in just a few moments here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back at CPAC 2018, our first day of uh, carrying the show here. Now, Val, yeah? this is the first time you've ever been to uh, CPAC. By the way, there's Ducey from Fox News. Yeah, yep, we've been seeing him around. Have you, have you stopped and asked him to do a, a, a selfie with him? Uh, no. <laughs> you do a selfie with no. him. You go no. right over there right now and ask him for a selfie? No. Okay, anyway. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> But uh, you know, this is what, what do you what do you think about it thus far? I think it's been very enlightening, been very just cool. Just it's so cool to be in a building full of people that think almost identical to you, and everyone has you know their yeah has their quirks and yeah and their and all those things that perhaps that they that they believe that do not agree with me. You have your right to be wrong. Right. <laughs> Just ask me, I'll tell you. No. Javi, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I got to tell you, Javi's with us, and he and I got to know each other in 2008. 
No, I think it was 2011 when I won the award. That's there. what it was, yeah. And you were the one that set me up with Ben Carson. I did. You know, he's from Florida, and the man knows his stuff. Right. I've been wondering when you might decide to run for political office. Are you thinking about it? Well, I'm strongly considering a run in Florida's 22nd Congressional District. Okay. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been asked to do it years back uh, from members of Congress. I remember that. And so now we strongly consider because it, it, the district has changed in the past couple of years. It went from a uh, D leaning C, a very D leaning C, D thirteen to a D four, D five. It's a very there's a, there's a pathway to victory there. So we're entertaining it. The member of Congress who is sitting there right now is uh, Florida Congressman Ted Deutsch, one of the most liberal members of the United States Congress. Only Debbie Washington overshadows him, so not that many people know of him. Now they do because unfortunately the district in which he represents, the, the school shooting in Parkland is was right smack in the middle of the district. So he was the one that was on the town hall last night uh, going after Marco Rubio, him and Senator uh, Nelson. So that's who Ted Deutsch is. So, you know, when I think of of Florida, I don't think of a state that in any way, shape or form would accept any form of gun control from anybody. Right. Now, after the shooting and, you know, the emotions are still raw and whatever... Evidently, maybe that has changed a tad now, mm-hmm. but I think after it all shakes out, people will go, well, all these types of things that you're saying we should do, they haven't made any, di- they wouldn't make any difference anyway. So, you know, what uh, what's going on with like Scott and like Rubio? I mean, Rubio says, yeah, maybe uh, a young guy that uh, is 18 shouldn't be able to buy an AR-15. Well, as far as Governor Scott and Senator Rubio, I think, and we're all on the same page, I think, uh, for the most part, you know, where there's compromise, I think there should be, is in the background check. Um, maybe a, a yeah, I'm men- with you mental health component okay. yeah. to the background check, where maybe there's a, a some kind of checkup, if you would. I think everyone's on board with that. As far as uh, anything else, I don't think there's going to be any compromise. Why should there be? You know, look, look. If you look at the mass in history, the mass shootings, a lot of them committed by uh, by pistols. With uh, uh, case in point, uh, uh, Virginia Tech, 37 people killed, two pistols. Yes, we have mass shootings with AR-15s, but for the most part, it's a person behind the. And that sounds like a cliche. It's a person behind the weapon who's firing it, and everyone who's who we knew that was that survived these mass shootings, who perpetrated the offense. Guess what? They were all mentally unstable or unwell. But that's yeah. what they they don't they say that, that that's not the cause. Yesterday, oh, well, I I can't see a mentally unstable person doing that. Well, I'm sorry if you want to kill somebody, you aren't me- you're mentally unstable. Listen, I think it, it, it it's it's been proven that this guy Nicholas Cruz was very mentally unstable. Uh, I can't speak for the person in Las Vegas right. actually, but everyone else, the Columbine kids, Sandy right. Hook, they were all mentally unstable. They did what they did. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, and again, we're talking about gun control. And let me just say, as it's not so much gun control anymore, according to President Obama and Representative Deutsch and people of his ilk, it's about gun safety. Yeah. So these are now gun safety laws. But you, you, you scratch the bear enough, they're going to tell you it's really about gun control. That's how they're trying to hide it. This is all that is. Yeah. So have you run into to Grayson lately? Um, actually, no. <laughs> he was 
You know, he, he was one of my favorite poster boys for beating. That guy was incredible. I ran into him a couple of years ago at his town hall in Orlando, and he, I mean, shameless guy, in front of his entire <laughs> group, maybe 200 people, he started yelling at me and called me a liar that all I did is publish lies about him. And I turned to him and said, Congressman, I just posted your videos of the stuff that comes out of your mouth. Yeah. And he took offense, and he just stormed out. I, I, his people pressured me to get out, but that's the last time I spoke to him. But he's doing his thing. I think he's going to run for Congress again. Again? And he's going to st- he's going to primary challenge the person who replaced him, Darren Soto, in Central. It's a very liberal district, very okay. Hispanic-leaning. But I, have, I got an email the other day uh, from him. Not a personal email, but a fundraising email, <laughs> where he's 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 insinuating that he's going to challenge Darren Soto. God bless him. Yeah, I mean, he he wants more taxpayer money paying for him. I guess that's all I can figure. You know what? With the grace that he has, money, it's ego. He just wants to feel important. Wants to feel he's part of a, the, the process, of, and. And that's all it is because he got he he look what happened to him last time around. <laughs> just, yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy. I'll, I'll just put it that way. He's yeah. really interesting. How does Florida come up with him and with uh, what's her name down? Shelby Wasserman. Ah! Yeah, I ran into her in the South Carolina primary four years ago. Right, and I walked up and said hello to her. <laughs> And she looked at me and she says, do I know you? And I said, no, I'm a, a conservative talk show host. And she goes, I don't want to talk to you. I, I'm going to, well, you know, her and I have a love-hate relationship. If I can find the picture, <laughs> I will show you. It's on my Facebook. Um, she looks like a poodle. Debbie, <laughs> Debbie and I have, like I said, a love-hate relationship. You know, we treat each other cordially. I was up here a month ago. And my significant other was with me, and I said, we were outside of the, the, the house chamber. Yeah. And I said, Shell, here comes Debbie. Debbie, who was him? I'm like, yep. <laughs> she comes out, oh, my God, Javier. Big hug and a kiss. Oh, like my We Lord. haven't seen each other in years. First thing she says, are you really going to run? So we have a great relationship, her and I. Of course, she endorsed me, but yeah. it, was, it was obviously she was being facetious. She wasn't right. going to really endorse me. Sure. But just, just the, the banter back and forth, the fun. But listen, you have to respect her in the sense that she is who she is. She's not a phony baloney. She, this, you know, she's going to tell you who she is and what she stands well, for. She's a survivor, I'll tell you she that. She is. Look, she's gone through the ringer. She's gonna, she may go continue through more of this, this issue with the whole house IT scandal. You know where that's going to lead. Yeah. Well, look, and, yeah, she brought it on herself. Well, and, and Again, it, it, her her friend Ted Deutsch, who's, who we're, we're discussing, he hired the guy, fired the guy, but he's been dodging the press. So I I, I labeled him as terrified Ted because he won't talk to the <laughs> he won't talk to the press about what he knows, why he fired him, what was behind it. He won't he refuse to talk to the press about this uh, IT scandal. So I'm thinking, hey, what is what is he not telling us? You know, it, did did Ted inadvertently uh, or, or indirectly fund t- terrorism because? This guy is is being looked at as possibly sending two hundred thousand dollars to Pakistan, and the guy he sent it to may have ties to Hezbollah. Yeah. So go figure. Yeah. Our taxpayer you. dollars go going through Deutsch's office and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Did they help fund Hezbollah? We don't know. We'll okay. See. So so what is is Deutsch saying about voting against the tax cut bill? Oh, he voted against it. I, well, I know he did. Everyone All did. the Democrats yeah. did. 
Well, he's saying he's not saying that they're crumbs that they're giving out these tax these tax uh, bonuses, but he's saying the typical uh, Democrat party lines. It, it was a GOP scam that the that the, the the real beneficiaries here of the tax break. Uh, the tax cut was are the big corporations and the the riches of America. Let me just tell you, uh, my significant other. You give her a thousand bucks a day, she goes right to the store and yeah. spends. He goes on the shopping spree, and guess what? She she th- she puts in another thousand bucks into the economy. So I mean, it, it, that's asinine of what they said. And Ted Deutsch is just he's like a puppet. He's just going. Uh, towing the party line on it being a house scam or a GOP scam. So that's all he's saying. Pretty much the same talking points. Okay, so if you run, that's a huge vulnerability. Oh yeah, he, he voted against. He voted against. And, and look, just look now how it's 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 affecting the economy. Yes. Wait till Americans start getting their tax returns back and realize they're paying less. I spoke to my accountant, and I pay an exorbitant amount of taxes. And he says you will see a lo- you'll be paying less taxes this year because of the tax break rate. And I'm like, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. Of course, my my significant other looks at me like, yeah, I'm all for it too. <laughs> and her hand out. Yeah. <laughs> no. Shoes. Exactly. And, and and I can use it. You know, I've got I've got diapers to buy. You know. Oh. How young is your child? Uh, going on five weeks. Oh. Well, congratulations. No, no. It, 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 it's it's cooking. Oh, it's oh, cooking. Wow. It's, still, it's still baking. It's in the oven. It's still baking. It's in the oh, oven. Okay. It's oh, well, congratulations. Baking. Do you have any other children, or is this going to be your first? My first. Oh, it's the coolest thing ever. And it's a girl. <gasps> oh, that's even better. Well, You'll I got enjoy two boys, that. so I don't know anything about girls. Listen, I, I, I've said that this is God's payback to me. <laughs> He's looking down and said, listen, payback for all those blonde brunette skeletons you have in your closet. All right, so, Avi, if you, when you decide to, that you're yeah. going to run, I just know you're going to run. I just got that feeling about you. I felt that way for a while now about about you. you you're, you're very, you'd be a great candidate. You'd make a great congressman. Thanks. So uh, when you decide to make it official, you make sure you get in touch with me. Oh, absolutely. You'll be one of the first I call. We'll it's, get, you, it, get you on the air there in Little Rock. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we're, it's it's a process. We've heard some, hit some benchmarks that we're looking to uh, the mean. If we would have not met them, we probably wouldn't have been moving forward. But we've hit those benchmarks. Uh, a lot of support nationwide. A lot of members of Congress are very interested in helping out. So we're just going through the motions. And we're here. So you're here at CPAC and talking to everybody that you possibly can. Is We're making right? the media rounds. I feel I feel like a politician. <laughs> really? Well, you just might be able to fit You're that, getting warmed uh, up. It's a uh, practice run. I'm usually on the other side right? of the microphone. That's gotcha. true. That's true. All right, Javi, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for and having Harris, me. Harris, right? Yep. Make sure you have that. I'll post some stuff about him because he is the real deal. Appreciate it. Thank he you. He will be a, a grassroots kind of guy. I will, I will. And I will try to be the best congressman I can within reason. Uh, it just, you know how DC works. Yes, the swamp I do. is yes. thick. You can make yes. all the promises, the but muck, when you get here, the yeah. muck is thick. It's like, <laughs> as ba- well, as bad as bad as, and I'm just about out of time here. But let me just leave you with this: as bad as some of the congressmen are, it's the bureaucrats that are the worst, right? Because right. they've been there forever, and they're going to do whatever they can do to keep things the way it is, yeah. so they keep getting their paychecks. Yep. Thanks. We appreciate you coming. Thanks by. for having me on. We'll talk to you later. Brother. Yep, absolutely. Right. We got uh, Fox News coming up. We come back. We got uh, who we got coming up? Cabot, Cabot Phillips. 
that's going to join us here on the uh, Dave Ellswick Show. So stick around more from CPAC. I uh, put my headphones on and I could hear everybody talking around here. That tells me we're on the air. All right, so we're looking for our interview for this half hour. You never know exactly what's going to happen when you're at, at, at CPAC. You know who's supposed to be here, but whether they have been able to make it or if they remember that they're supposed to be on the air right. is a kind of an interesting uh, situation <laughs> at times. Well, they get stopped talking to somebody and they forget. And yeah, and that can happen. It does happen. But I'm looking here and I'm not... Is that Cabot right there? Where's that? With Christine? Might be. I don't know. We, we shall see. You want to step up and walk and just ask yeah. them? You see, I don't know what he even looks like. I don't either. uh, A picture of him. All right, good to have you back with us. You just heard a little bit of what goes on with the the wonderful world. This is Cabot here. It is Cabot. Come on, man. How are you? How's it going? It's going well. It's, It's going very well. So... What's your expertise? What you want to talk about? So I'm the media director with CampusReform.org. Oh, Campus yeah. These are my people. You were on yesterday, weren't you? I was not. We may have had someone with the organization. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, we were downstairs. You guys got a big presence downstairs. That's the goal. Which is great. Yeah. And, in fact, one of the first things people will see when they go downstairs here at CPAC is Campus Reform. You all, I remember when you all kind of started, I mean, I'm sure you were around, but you made an aggressive show at CPAC a few years ago. Yeah, our organization, we cover liberal bias on college campuses, and so... Wow, you're not ever going to run out of things to write about, I'm just saying. It's tough because there's so much material to cover, Uh, it's it's hard. We could have a team of a thousand writers, and we really wouldn't cover it all, but we have... Uh, around 100 campus correspondents. These are student journalists yeah. around the country writing stories for us. And so we're here at CPAC because this is the cream of the crop. These are the best young conservatives in the movement. And so we're trying to help them get their foot in the door with journalism. And we're really trying to train up. We offer training, advice. We're trying to build up the next generation of conservative journalists. And I think it starts here at CPAC. No more fake news? No more fake news. <laughs> Only the facts. Right? Yeah, well, yeah. Awesome. we got people combating fake news. I'll believe that when I see it <laughs> yeah. from the wonderful world of journalism. Now, I was a journalism major in mm-hmm. college. Me too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can only tell you that's when it was objective journalism and not going out and advocacy journalism right. took over. When yeah. they took over, facts don't matter anymore, folks. No. And the narrative matters. Yeah. And the prevailing narrative right now, even in journalism schools, I think the prevailing narrative, whatever your major, is that... Uh, you have to adhere to the liberal way of thinking or you are shut down. It's not even a debate anymore. You are shut down. You're ostracized. Your, uh, your views are completely ignored uh, in the classroom. We have, I've had so many students come up today. The first question I ask, what's it like being a conservative on a college campus? Story after story after story. It's like having leprosy. Yeah, students <laughs> talking about how I lost points on this paper because I wouldn't agree with the premise of the, my liberal professor. Or, I've heard that so many times. Yeah. So many times. And professors ought to be held to a higher standard in society. They're, it's opinion. Exactly. 
It should be facts. It should be completely uh, not about opinions. But when students know where their professors stand, of course they're going to be afraid to offend their professor because their professor is the one controlling whether they graduate or not. So yeah. then they really can't think. No. The people they're aren't learning to think. thinking on their own. That's what college is about. That's what it's right. meant to be about. You right. go to college to learn how to think. You become an adult. I mean, your uh, parents tell you how to think the whole time you're at home, pretty much. Yeah. Then you go off to college, and now you got your teachers telling you and how to think. You're, you're supposed to learn how to think. Learn how to disagree with one another. But we have a whole generation of people going into the real world now, never being confronted with ideas they disagree with. Anytime they were made uncomfortable by something, the MO they learned was to shut it down. Yeah. And you shouldn't have to have it. And they never learned to argue, disagree, debate. And millennials are not the largest voting bloc in America. Okay, think about it's what that means for the electorate. People it's who don't understand facts and logic. Like the like the like I was saying earlier, the little girl that said yesterday on television, my teacher doesn't have a right to have a gun protect me. Yeah, I think watching <laughs> I was just like what? And I think a lot of Americans, when they see things like that, are shocked. But sadly, it's no longer surprising for people who are yeah. are really up to date with what's going on with the next generation. You just want to curse out the TV. And it's it's sad too because I don't by no means do I mean to just millennial bash all day. Right. Because I think a lot of it is is the responsibility and and the fault of some of the older generations that you know allowed academia to be taken over. They allowed many of these things to uh, they they really bow down to many of these tendencies instead of correcting them. And I think, well, and you know, and that's important. I'm glad you said that, that people understand that this didn't happen in a vacuum. This happened because uh, many of us as parents just said, uh, send our kids off and we don't even talk to them about what they're being taught. Many times, I'm, I'm very much a, a laissez-faire guy when it comes to many aspects of life. I don't think parenting should be one of those. I think when it comes to something yeah. like education, that's how it's going to change. One of the most common questions I get asked is, how can we begin to change this? How can we fight back? I think the biggest thing is accountability with parents being aware of what's going on. And also, as taxpayers, especially as public schools, right. taxpayers have the right to know what's being said in the classroom, what's happening to, uh, to free speech on college campuses. And ultimately, it's going to be market forces that fix this where schools are going to realize it's you know we're losing funding people aren't giving us you know donations anymore students aren't applying here anymore because of what's going on we've already seen that with a few schools uh where you know university of missouri for example they had a, a whole free speech tobacco wow there. they took it on the chin lately you ever have you been to missouri campus recently they have buildings of empty dorm rooms that because they can't That's get enough students good. they can't get enough students to apply anymore that you're right if schools aren't doing their job and aren't holding up their end of the argument and they're into the bargain, then parents should stop sending their, their students there. Let oh, me yeah. tell you what. When I was in college, not college, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, at, as a junior, you start looking at where you want to attend college at. One of the things, places I thought about going was the University of Missouri because at that time, they had one of the best journalism schools in America. Yeah, they did until very recently. You know, yeah. and then it just went all the crap yeah. because of the, the SJWs that yeah. got in there. And it, it really starts with, you mentioned the SJW, social justice warriors. I yeah. imagine most of your listeners already know that. But the the mindset is this, this hierarchy of oppression, as we like to call it, where people come onto campus and they realize, if I claim offense to something that I see, I get preferential treatment. The yep. more things that I can claim offense to, the better I'm treated by the left and by my peers. And so if you've got an impression what 18-year-old student who comes into college it's almost hard to blame them for claiming that everything hurts their feelings, everything is offensive to them, everything makes them unsafe, because they know the more that they can rise up that hierarchy of oppression, the better treatment they're going to get. 
and schools have enabled it. Rather than saying, suck it up, you're becoming an adult, learn how to disagree with things, they say, okay, we'll shut this down, we'll coddle you, we'll keep you from having to handle those big, bad conservatives. It's crippling students, it's denying them the right to to learn to become adults, and it's hurting our country in the, in the process. It's destroying free speech. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's just, look, I was a person that worked during the 60s to be able to get free speech on not only college campuses, but in high school. I mean, remember my articles for the school newspaper getting spiked by the, you know, by the the principal and whatever. And I I said, you know, there's such a thing as free speech. I wasn't saying anything offensive. I wasn't even saying anything about the principal. But you offended him because he didn't agree with you. He didn't like it that I was calling Birch by an idiot for supporting (laughs) the the moratorium against the Vietnam War. And I think it's easy for people to get caught up in assuming that this battle over free speech is only happening at the high-profile places. We see everyone saw the violence at Berkeley, and they see the violence at DePaul and at Evergreen College, but it is beyond that, and now it's taking more subtle forms. When we talk about free speech being denied to people, let me give you an example. These new process that the school use are these security fees, where the school, if a conservative group wants to bring a speaker, the school could say, yep, great, that event can happen, go ahead and get it planned, and then right before the event, they'll pull the rug out and say, sorry, this event is drawing some controversy, you're going to have to give us $10,000 for security fees yeah. to make sure it goes smoothly. And so most student groups can't pay that, and they have to cancel the event. And we've covered literally hundreds of instances where this has happened, where the school will charge exorbitant fees because the speaker could be controversial. Who gets to deem what's controversial? The administration. What kind of speakers do they not want on campus? Conservatives. And they hold a different standard for conservative speakers. And those ideas are only controversial in the first place because they don't do a good enough job of providing conservative ideas to the students elsewhere, like in the classroom or through other speakers. Well, that's like at Berkeley when uh, we had Ben Shapiro on, and he was saying oh, that he had to pay for building his own wall. Yeah, it was 600000 yes. yeah, to safely crazy. bring Ben Shapiro to Berkeley. Yeah, that's crazy. I was at, a, at Ithaca College recently with our good friend Dave Rubin, who, who's uh, popular in the conservative movement. The two of us were holding a panel on a free speech discussion, and there were some you know rumors on social media of some protests, some threatening things said. So eight police officers showed up for this event of about 150 people, and they told the student group we were with, uh, you're going to have to pay each of us $40 an hour plus overtime, three hours total. And, uh, yeah, you need to pay that to us. And the students didn't ask for any security. It was only necessary because the threats of the leftist students. Right. And then this college Republican group has to spend half their budget for the semester on security for an event that was only being threatened by the leftist students. And there's no accountability for the people making the threats, but then the, the tab gets put off on the conservatives. That's a, a subtle way that many people don't think about, but it's an easy way for them to keep uh, control of what ideas are being brought to campus. And to be bullies. It is the bully pulpit. It is, uh, it is the heckler's veto, as it's been called. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ben and I have talked about this, on, you know, ad nauseum, that you don't have a it, your freedom of speech is that when it comes up that you can start questioning, mm-hmm. you get to ask questions, and you can say what your opinion is and things like that. Free speech does not mean you can stand up during the time the person's talking and scream scream so that nobody can hear the other person. That's canceling out their free speech. And it's also a lack of understanding of what free speech means. What what a big surprise that they don't understand. It's it's a lack of understanding. And also a tactic we've seen and we've covered extensively at Campus Reform is this, this hate speech push where now they've said, okay, 
free speech is starting to have a positive connotation. We need to instead change it to hate speech. Yeah. And what they do is they get, they get everyone to agree. Okay, you guys agree hate speech is bad, hate speech is bad? Okay, good. We all agree hate speech is bad, has no place here. Guess what? Now we're going to apply hate speech to anything we disagree with. And they try to... Uh, to stifle speech under the guise of protecting against hate speech. And sadly, they don't realize that hate speech is in the eye of the beholder. And also, hate speech is protected under the Constitution, whether you like it or not. It's not going anywhere. And you can't decide what hate speech is or isn't just because you think it hurts your feelings. All right. Cabot Phillips is with us. He's from Campus Reform. we got more to talk about. we got to get a break in. Let's do that. It's the Dave Ellswick Show live from CPAC in Washington, D.C. We'll continue our discussion when we come back here at the, uh, where are we at? The Gaylord Harbor? Is that what they call it? National Harbor. The National Harbor. The Gaylord Resort at National Harbor. The Gaylord Resort. And Spa. Yes, and Spa. (laughs) I don't think too many people have seen the Spa part. I have not either. I don't have time. I walked by it. it. We'll be back in a moment. We're at CPAC. We are in, uh, we're just outside of Washington, D.C., at the uh, Gaylord Resort, something harbor, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, it's a nice place, but it's really expensive. Have you figured it out, Cabot? Oh, I'm staying 20 minutes away. It's too expensive here. Oh, good for you. uh, (laughs) You know, we go out to eat. We do not eat here because it's so freaking expensive. I drank a $4 can of Coca-Cola recently, which was a first. But at the same time, we're all free market supporters here. Supply and demand. We can respect it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Until they lock you down. You know, if they would restrict the market. Yeah, if we couldn't bring in food, I'd be really laying it on (laughs) and sick. All right. So let's talk about. What you do, you go out and you give, uh, you teach about free speech. Yeah. That's the main goal. Of the our, I'm with campusreform.org, the website. The website right. we cover liberal bias, but our parent organization, the Leadership Institute, uh, has trained over 150,000 conservative activists over the last four decades. So uh, that's also part of our mission is to train young conservatives. We're nonpartisan. We'll, we'll train anyone that comes through, but definitely our goal is to train as many uh, young conservative activists as possible, get them ready. So we offer media training, free speech training, uh, public speaking training. You know, If you want to, whatever it is you want to do in the movement, we try to get young people involved because I think a lot of, of young conservatives feel like there aren't really opportunities for them in the movement, or they think that they have to commit fully to a life of politics. But we're trying to say, use whatever school skills you have to make a difference. Use whatever you have at your disposal. If you just have 30 minutes a day for social media, take advantage of that. And so uh, I spoke here at CPAC uh, yesterday about holding free speech censors accountable, which is a, a, a simple talk on just how people can use social media and their areas and spheres of influence to to call people out, hold people accountable uh, in the name of free speech and make sure that we're, uh, you know, making a difference there. All right, so you get in front of a group of young people with, uh, you know, skulls full of mush. What what do you say to them? I mean, how do you, yeah. how do you get, get them arrested and no. and into what you're you're telling them. Well, I think a lot of it comes from being able to relate with them. I'm I'm only 24 years old myself. So I have, haven't been out of college that long. I knew he was and young. So, <laughs> and so I think obviously it would be nice to be a bit older and have more experience. Some people would think, but I think it's helpful right now uh, that I, you know I'm. They don't view me as an outsider. I am, for all intents and purposes, I'm one of them. I still understand. Well, you're a young person getting experience right exactly. now. Exactly. I think that's what it's about. And I think if uh, that's been helpful for me, being able to talk to young people and say, look, 
I'm one of you guys too. I understand the problems we're facing. Like, so I think that's very helpful in, in relating to people and also not viewing young voters, specifically young conservatives, as this big monolithic block of all people that are motivated by the same things, all people that can be persuaded by the same things. I think finding out what motivates specific groups of people and how to, to best relate to them. So that's what I try and do initially whenever I'm in a setting, try to find out you know, what are the main causes people care about most and explain to them conservatism and how it's a positive for them. Uh, but yeah, I've done a, I do a, 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 we're part of the Normandy project that we're doing with Leadership Institute, kind of going on the offensive. We've held uh, hundreds of speaker events, bringing conservative speakers to college campuses uh, to bring those ideas there that are absent because of the school's inability to provide them. And so I've been on, you know, 50 campuses in the past year. I'm going to be on 15 more in the next two months. So I'm trying to, uh, you know, stop complaining about what's going on on college campuses and go and try and bring the message to them. And and we're, you know, welcoming as many people as possible to do that. Okay, so explain to my listeners because I have a lot of young listeners in the in the 20ish age group and in uh, the late college years if they wanted to be a writer for campus reform yeah. what do they need to do so we do have a team of around 100 writers from around the country that cover liberal bias, um, and many of them are students. We also have a full-time staff here in D.C., but we, on our website, campusreform.org, we have a, a big sticker, a big banner that says apply now. Uh, I wish you guys were around when I was in college. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, and we have a lot of catching up to do, And but I do think it's making a difference. We have people every day. Our main source of stories is our tip line, contact at campusreform.org. People send us in stories tell us what's going on. Many students send messages saying, I've been here for four years. I had no idea there was a resource like this. Please, please, please come investigate what's going on in my school. We have investigative journalists. We call schools. We use Freedom of Information Act. If schools won't give us information, we will FOIA them. We will uh, take recordings from inside classrooms and and publish them and show what's going on. Uh, The last thing these universities want is outside attention, outside pressure on them. That's what's going to take a chance. Transparency. These are the people that we are employing with our money. Absolutely. I got a buddy that's on every Monday that you need to meet. His name is Robert Steinbach. I know the name. Uh, well, yeah. he's, he's written one of the definitive books on yeah. FOIA. Yeah. And uh, he would love to hear. Maybe we can get you and have you join us yeah. one Monday and talk with him on the air. Yeah. I would love that. And yeah. it's, it's disappointing, too, how few people understand... Um, they do have the right to this information. Yes. They have the right to know how their school is spending money. They have the right to know where their fees are going. Many times students show up at a school and the school is hosting all these events and they don't know where the money is coming from. They just think it's magically happening. They don't realize it's their tuition, it's taxpayer money, the funding that's going towards that, their student fees. Just at George Washington this past week, the school used uh, student fee money to hold a Planned Parenthood fundraiser on their campus. And that means that students who didn't know where their money was going paid in at the beginning of the year these student activities fees. And it was then used to promote a cause that many of them maybe didn't believe in. But too many of those students in those cases and instances are afraid to speak up because, again, they know where the administration stands. But anyone who is, is wondering, uh, I wonder how my kid's university is doing. Look into it. Uh, ask them. Uh, find out you know, what's going on in the classroom, what's being said, what the administration is doing to give them a well-rounded education. Uh, and it, it really, it's, our organization covers mainly college, but it starts before that. I think 
uh, that many of I've heard many cases of, of high school, middle school things like that going on. I haven't had seen as many problems with it, but that doesn't mean that parents should just assume that their elementary, middle school, high school teachers are are, are not having a bias there. Although we haven't seen that as much. We are out of time. Campusreform.org. Go there when you get home, as you're driving home from work now, and we'll talk about, you can find out more about it. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation, so call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. For making this possible as well as Ed Monk and Last Resort Firearms, who uh, came in at the last moment to make sure that we'd have enough to eat while we were here, because uh, after paying for all the plane tickets and the rooms, uh, you know, four thousand dollars doesn't go a long way when you're staying at the Gaylord Resort. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's expensive here. It's really expensive. When you when you came, when you made your room reservation, are you staying here? Um, I live lucky. on the other side of the Okay, river. so you're lucky. Yeah. You you get your room and then they announce to you after you put in for your room for um, I had three nights that each day you have to pay a hundred and fifty dollar fee to be able to use the workout room, the spa, and all that stuff. And it's like, dudes, I am working all day. I don't have time to take a spa. Are you out of your minds? But you still got to pay. It's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. So our guest is uh, Justin Danhoff. Is that correct? You got it. I got it correct. All right. He's with us. He's with the uh, National Center Free Enterprise uh, Project. And he does something that I really like. Businesses stay around in many cases because of how much stock they can get people to buy. And if the price is right, people buy their stock. If they're doing the right things, people buy their stocks. Uh, If they do the wrong things, sometimes they're buying the stocks because it's not transparent enough to know what they're doing and they continue to buy the stocks. You go in and stir things up a little bit, uh, Justin, by allowing uh, the information to get to shareholders. Yeah, that's right. So I direct the Free Enterprise Project at the National Center for Public Policy Research. And essentially what we did was we took a decades-old tactic from the left and we turned it directly on its head. So we are the only right-of-center organization in the United States that engages directly in shareholder activism. And what that means is two things. We file shareholder resolutions, and we also attend shareholder meetings. And when do we do that? We do that whenever we see a corporation diminishing liberty. 
I don't care if it's religious liberties, the Second Amendment, or something as big as the pharmaceutical and the health insurance industries hoisting Obamacare on the American people. Wherever we see that happening, we try and stick a wedge and be a voice for the American people, be a voice for common sense, and a voice for conservatism. Because if people find out about this stuff, they start writing letters. And when they get letters at companies, they get nervous. Yeah, and so, you know, why do we do it? Well, take a look at what conservative America does a lot. Conservative America bashes and rails against big government. But we're here across the river from the swamp, right? We can kind of smell it where we're sitting. Yeah, we can. (laughs) And you know what's very difficult? Moving the bureaucracy, because the bureaucracy is entrenched. The bureaucracy has pensions. The bureaucracy isn't going anywhere. President Trump is trying. But, you know, his, the, the, the thought that he could come in and take a drain, a plug, and the swamp would just drain out, that was always fool's gold because it's such an entrenched thing. And so what I like to think about is, think about a big circle, a symbiotic circle, if you will, of big government and big business. Most of the conservative movement likes to push on this one side of big government. But we realized that big business, they're actually accountable. They're amenable to pressure. They have fiduciary duties to their investors. They have duties to uh, the public. They have you know, safety duties. And so they are much more amenable to pressure. And that's something the left realized decades ago. And the conservatives, we're playing catch up right now, quite frankly. Now, they've been shaking down biz- big business for a long, long time. You're not shaking them down. You're just turning to the, the shareholders and saying, are these your principles? Right, exactly. And, you know, if they're not your principles, let your voice be. Yeah, absolutely. That just makes a whole lot of sense. So let's talk about some of the things that you've achieved uh, with the Free Enterprise Project, questioning the Boeing and GE support for the Clinton Foundation helped trigger an FBI investigation into the foundation's activities. Now, I've been screaming about the Clinton Foundation for a long time, and uh, now they're getting in and starting to look a lot closer at what Hillary Clinton was doing as Secretary of State uh, during the time that she was in charge there. How much money was she uh, funneling towards the foundation? Uh, I understand that the FBI, if I call them, they'll not say that they are because they don't (laughs) comment on investigations. Uh, But we have been told that they are in the process of an investigation of the Clinton Foundation. So this is one of, I think, one of the most corrupt foundations that's out there. What are you doing with them now? I mean, yes. you got this going on. Now, what's your end game? Yeah, so the backstory there a little bit is uh, what we noticed was kind of a, what looked like a payola structure. So specifically when Secretary, when, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, when it comes to General Electric, we saw a pattern where she went to the Algerian government and essentially lobbied them on a big turbine project that GE was trying to pitch. Mm -hmm. Well, then GE, in turn, made a big donation to the Clinton Foundation. And after that, all of a sudden, GE wins the contract with the Algerian government. At the time, one of the largest contracts General Electric as a company had ever signed. So how how can they cover up that that's really quid quo pro? It, it sure appears to be, yes. So how do, how do they keep people from knowing this? 
So, you know, it, it's obviously a great media machine um, that the Clintons have had for years. And so that's that's what we wanted to figure out, because at the time, Congress was, you know, trying to get blood from a stone because Hillary Clinton's server had been wiped, right? Mm-hmm. And so our questioning kind of reversed everything. And so I went to at, at then CEO Jeff Imolt of General Electric, and I said, hey, Congress is having all sorts of difficulties getting correspondence off of... Uh, uh, Secretary Clinton's email server. You clearly have business record retention, right? Can you provide to the shareholders or to the American public or to the federal investigators the correspondence that you you guys had with the Secretary of State and her office during the time in question? And of course, Imelt said, no, we're never going to provide that. Absolutely not. And so, you because know, you can't FOIA it because they're, they're not a, company. a government, and a so, government right. entity. And so that's why, you know, after our questioning is, and then we did the same with McInerney at Boeing, the CEO, the then CEO of Boeing. Same, same fact pattern, except not it wasn't Algeria and it wasn't turbines. This was Russia and planes. And so again. Secretary of State Clinton is in Russia, and in her own words, she admitted this. In one of her books, she shamelessly pitched the Russians to buy planes from Boeing. Boeing makes a donation to the Clinton Foundation. Guess who wins the Russian contract? Boeing. And the same fact pattern appeared, uh, the same questioning to the CEO, and again, the same answer. And so after we asked both of those questions a few years back is when the FBI decided they were going to open an investigation into the actions of the Clinton Foundation. Because where there's smoke, there's fire, folks. Let, let, let's be honest here. And, and if you think you're getting away with it, you're going to keep doing it. Right. right. And so, you know, these, these are the kinds of questions that still remain unanswered. What, what communications occurred to cause those financial transactions to eventuate? And we're still looking for answers to this day. And as you said, rumor has it, the FBI is in Little Rock. And let's hope that eventually the American public, because again, what happened there was beyond, you know, a pay-for-play scheme. It's something called honest services fraud as well, because Secretary of State Hillary Clinton at the time, she worked for the American public. We paid her check. We paid her salary. So she has an honest duty to, she has a, she has a duty to do her job on behalf of the American public. She doesn't work for GE. She doesn't work for Boeing. So if what she was doing was essentially work lobbying work for Boeing and GE, they stole her services from the American public. They are guilty of honest services fraud. And so that's why Jeff Imolt and Jim McInerney, this is why they would not turn over the documents, because they don't want to be you know, found guilty by the court of public opinion or by a court of law. Yeah, I think that probably would get, get both of them. Absolutely. They'd be found guilty by both. When we come back, let's talk about two other people or businesses and uh, that, that you've gone after. Let's talk about Disney and let's talk about Facebook. All right. I'd love to talk about Facebook. Yeah, baby. I do. Let's talk about that. 17 after 4 here at the Dave Ellswick Show, CPAC 2018 ongoing. We'll spend the rest of our show here today and our whole show tomorrow. Plus, I can tell you this, over the next few weeks, you're going to hear all kinds of interviews with a whole lot of interesting people that we've done uh, here while we've been at CPAC as well. Dave Ellswick Show on 96.5 FM, The Answer. Our guest, Justin uh, Danhoff, is here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. We just got done talking about Boeing and GE support 
for the Clinton Foundation. He works for the Free Enterprise Project. He goes into shareholders meetings and, and whatnot and uh, kind of stirs the pot a little bit in, in, in a good way, okay, in a good way. Well, he's dealt with two other large companies that I, I really want to talk about here and just let you hear the stories on. One is he took on Disney CEO Bob Iger over anti-conservative bias. Now, when you think of of uh, Disneyland and, uh, you know, Disney World, you probably don't think of anti-conservative bias. But here's why this gets very nerve-wracking. Disney now owns Marvel. Disney now owns a lot of movie properties. So now they can use culture. And remember what Andrew Breitbart said, culture is upriver from politics. If you understand that, you can change a lot of things in America by presenting it in a movie or whatever. So tell us about what was it like going to war with Bob Iger? Because I hear he's not a really nice guy. He's a little cold, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> He was actually rated last year in The Hollywood Reporter the number one most powerful person in all of Hollywood, and I believe that. They are currently in talks to buy Fox, talk yes. about all the other things they own. And so when I, what I did was I confronted him with a little bit of truth, though. I brought real-life examples of what had been said on ABC News, which Disney owns, and also what had been said on ESPN. And which e Disney owns. Which Disney owns. And ESPN, of course, for those who've been following sports news, they've been shedding viewers and shedding their hosts, frankly. They've had, over, they've had two firings of over 100 uh, employees in the last eight months. Mm -hmm. And so... I confronted him about the bias, specifically at ESPN, because a lot of people go to sports as an escape from politics, right? They go, they, you know, sports are an escape for people. You don't turn to the sports channel and expect to get, the, you know, politics. But that's what's been happening more and more and more at ESPN. And so after I ask him, you know, what is going on with the bias? What can you do to curb the problem? Uh, you're offending your conservative viewer base. Clearly, they're fleeing in large numbers. Poll after poll shows that. Three weeks later... ESPN adopted an entirely new policy whereby on-air personnel cannot independently bring up a political story if it's unattenuated from the story that they're actually talking about. Okay, so if, it's a, if they're talking to a basketball player and they're talking about how you shoot the other basketball player, <laughs> they, they can talk about gun control. Sure, that's okay. right. That's right. And so that's a, you know, that's a huge success, and it shows, again, that corporations, they are accountable to their investors, and that you know our voice was one voice in the room, but I think those who are also turning off the channel, uh, the, the impact and the confluence of those events caused some real policy outcome and a real change at Disney. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy for that. Is it is it perfect yet? No. We've got Jamel Hill calling President Trump a white supremacist, for yep. goodness sake, still. So ESPN is far from perfect. It's a policy change. What they need to now do is hold their on-air talent accountable to that new policy. That's the next step. And you know what? That's where we're actually taking it this year. Spoiler alert, the next shareholder meeting I'm going to is Disney, March 8th, in Houston, Texas. I'm going to be there confronting Bob Iger again. Because, not to, not to belabor it, but I filed a shareholder resolution this year with Disney that had three simple words in it. Tell the truth. What did Disney do to that? 
They hired one of the most expensive law firms in the United States of America and, by my estimation, spent well north of six figures fighting that shareholder resolution. They petitioned the United States Securities and Exchange Commission and told them, Justin's proposal can't stand. We cannot let our investors vote on that. Um, please kick it off, the proxy. The U.S. federal government agreed with Disney that they do not have to tell the truth. The federal government, the U.S. the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, sided with Disney in our legal battle, and Disney won the right to continue to lie to you. So I think you have to just turn that on them and just say, if they say that they will not, that, that you can't support the tell the truth, then that must be mean that they're lying all the time. Absolutely, and that's I mean, you know, that, that, that that is what, what it is. It tells you, and and, and again. When you hear the president say fake news, when, when we talk about media bias and so many people's eyes gloss over and they don't, they don't believe it, this is the proof in the pudding. They spent north of six figures to make sure they had the right to continue to lie to you, me, and everyone else. And this is ABC News. This is ABC. This is, this is Walt Disney, folks. Yeah, well, it's not Walt, believe me. <laughs> yes. But the bottom line is if I own stock in Disney, I'd shut it. Well, you'd shed it, or you'd be you join me and be another voice yeah, in, in, in letting in letting Mr. Iger know that this isn't the direction that you want the company to go. It certainly isn't the direction uh, Walt Disney would have taken it, or, or frankly, some of their previous CEOs. This is this is an aberration, and it's a it's an abomination. And, and again, investors and the public alike need to know that. Again, when President Trump says fake news, when you hear media bias, this is the proof in the pudding. All right, I'm three minutes out from having to take a break for Fox News. We have three minutes. Let's talk about Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> another another guy that I love to talk about. All five foot one of them. Um, so, <laughs> so a couple years back, I Are think... Are you calling him a troll? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was even better than short. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I think trolls look down on him. but um, <laughs> <laughs> He's like the, the grundle under the bridge. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and so I think a lot of your listeners will remember a few years back... Um, they got outed by some of their own former employees at Facebook for what they were doing with their news feed. And they were manipulating the news feed so that they would see stories that uh, supported liberal bias of the individuals who were running the news feed. And it was 100% a liberal bias. Uh, it, was man- it was manual manipulation of the, of the algorithm that existed at the time. And so they were hand-selecting liberal stories and removing out stories from, network, or from news sources such as Breitbart or the Daily Call or the conservative news sites. And so they held a confab where Glenn Beck and a few others went in and Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg said, hey, guys, we're not doing this. We promise. It's all cool. And everybody left. And a lot of conservatives really bought that. I didn't. And within a few weeks, we saw example after example after example that this was continuing. So, again, I just went to the shareholder meeting. I was the only conservative that showed up. And I said, look, we're not going to stand for this. We're not going to believe you when you say it's simply not happening. And I brought, again, real-life example after real-life example after real-life example of conservatives being biased against. So what did they do? They actually took action, and they took the people out of the equation and let the algorithm simply run the news feed from here on out. And so, again, we can have direct action. Again, is the algorithm perfect? No. No. So... That you know, is it perfect? Absolutely not. But is it better than it was before? Absolutely, it is. Okay, good. Well, you keep up the good work. 
who's next on in, in your site? Well, we're we're going to hit up Disney. We're going to hit up General Electric. We're going to hit up Starbucks. You're going to see us all over the place. Starbucks. Oh <laughs> man, I know you guys. We, we're out of time. I'm going to have to get you on the air again, and you can tell me what's coming up for Starbucks. All right. The most expensive coffee in the universe. We ex- <laughs> we appreciate you coming by. Thanks. Man. I got Fox News coming up. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you. It's the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. We're live at CPAC. We will be here, well, for another 90 minutes. Coming up, uh, Melissa Phillips is going to join us. Curtis Ellis is coming to see us, as well as we're going to be talking uh, with uh, a, a good friend of mine from WIBC in Indianapolis. All that's coming your way here in just a few moments. But right now, let's go to Fox News, and in one minute, we'll find out what the most ex- you know, explosive story is. At CPAC, right outside of Washington, D.C., glad to have you with us. Melanie Phillips is joining us now. You're going to love Melanie because she's got a British accent. <laughs> You're going to love it just because she, she talks British. She talks to Queen's English, you know, or to King's English. I don't know which one it is. She's written a book called Guardian Angels and how she uh, ended up leaving the left and seeking out her own sanity. So I'm going to ask you, Melanie, I'll I'll let you just start off by, you know, what exactly happened to you in your life that has brought you to the point you're at right now? Well, as I tell my former colleagues at the Guardian newspaper, which is the the epicenter of uh, the intellectual left in Britain, um, I tell them it was working for the Guardian that made me what I am today. And funnily enough, they don't really find that very amusing. <laughs> um, but basically, I worked for The Guardian for about 20 years. And to begin with, I thought we were all on the same page. Um, I thought we all believed in making a better world, in uh, fighting tyranny, standing up for the dispossessed, um, espousing justice and truth against their opposites. Well, so you were SJW before SJWs were cool, huh? Um, I... Yes, I mean, I was, I was the real thing. Okay. Um, and um, over a period of time, and there were a number of things which, um, which, which happened, I, I, I mean, I was an old-fashioned journalist trained to look at evidence. And then an reach, objective journalist. And then reach a conclusion. Yeah. I looked at the evidence and didn't square with what the left was saying. And so I questioned. And as soon as I questioned, I was basically cast out. Um, and... It took me a long time to put all this together and to work out quite how important this was and quite how terrible it was. It took me a long time to realise it wasn't just on specific issues, education, multiculturalism, family breakdown, but there was a whole world view, which was not just wrong, but it would not have any evidence given to it. You couldn't have an argument. You couldn't have a discussion. The left is based on emotion. Well, they were in the business of shutting down the argument through insult. Oh, of course. And what even, even more than that, what I came to realize over a long period of time, something even more frightening than the fact that they were shutting down the argument. That's bad enough. That's you know, totalitarian. It's authoritarian. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's against freedom. 1984. All that. But there's something worse than that. They actually believe what they thought. They actually believe what they were saying. So, for example... If somebody like me thinks that there's something really good about British national identity, 
that Britain is a great country. It invented liberty. Political liberty came from Britain. Yeah. It has great characteristics. Um, it's history. Okay, it's not perfect, but its history is basically good. And I think it, people are entitled to pass their own laws, elect a parliament to pass their own laws in accordance with that culture. I'm called a racist, a bigot, a xenophobe. Similarly, you got it in this country. President Trump said, make America great again. The left said he's a Nazi. Why? Because the left actually believes he is. Yeah. Um, because they believe that to uphold American identity is a kind of fascism. Now, I heard make America great again, and I heard it as patriotism. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody say, I'm no longer going to be the kind of politician who apologizes for America. I believe in America, I believe in its values, I believe in its people, I'm going to uphold them, and I'm going to defend them. And people voted for that in droves. Why shouldn't they? That's what it's all about. We defend our national identity because we believe it's better than other people's. So, But for the left, they actually believe it is what they say it is. They actually believe it's a form of fascism, it's a form of xenophobia, it's a form of ethno-nativism or whatever it is. It's not just an insult, they actually believe it. And that's what's so frightening, because you can't then have an argument with them. You can't say, well, here's evidence. They don't want to hear the evidence. Their minds are closed. So that is what's really frightening me, because it's like, you know, we're living in an age which prides itself on being rational, and yet this is completely anti-reason. Reason has no part to play in any of this, and that's very, very alarming. That was the conclusion I came to. It took me a long time to come to it. And um, I record in Garden Angel all the steps along the way and what happened to me, what was said to me and about me and the attempts made to silence me and all the rest of it. And, you know, it was a a long and bloody business. Um, It took me a long time, as I say, to put everything together. And I've written a little book about it. All right, so it's called Guardian Angels. Why that title? Well, I work for The Guardian... Right. And it's a kind of pun, guardian angel. <laughs> that I am the guardian angel. Right. I'm the guardian angel of the of West. guardian, right. No. Exactly. Okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's just a pun. It's You're just a title. Them. It's a title. Yes. That's British humor. Yes. <laughs> I love when she said like it's a it. bloody mess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. I, I love to hear people who were involved with the left and then end up finally you know, coming towards the right. I'm not saying that you're going to be a conservative like me, but I am saying that I believe the left for a long time has been out there in the the, the, the stratosphere, or even the troposphere somewhere with their belief system. I don't think we should talk about the right. I think the right me- is meaningless. It means nothing. It, means sim- it simply means anyone who doesn't agree with the left, and it's used as a term of abuse. I think we should not talk about the right. I don't consider myself right-wing. I consider myself anchored in reality and conscience. Um, and I'm against the left because they are anchored in fantasy and bad things. And that's where I am. And I think that's where most people are. Yeah. So you tell me, what, do you th- what did you think about the, the whole Brexit thing that went down? Well, the Brexit uh, vote was a great and epical and seismic event. It was the first time that I can think of that the great project of the left to unmake British national identity and to unmake Western values had been stopped in its tracks. Good. Because that's what the Brexit, Brexit vote was about. Yes. And it was very similar to the forces that brought President Trump to office. Okay, very different context. Right. Yeah. But, but in both cases, you had millions and millions of people saying, um, as far as we're concerned, the entire political establishment across the aisle, Democrat and Republican, 
Conservative and Labour in Britain, um, has departed from reality and is trying to unmake our right to live in our countries in accordance with our values and espouse our identities and be proud of them and defend them. And that's what this basically is all about. And that's why this titanic battle is now on. This tremendous fight in Britain to stop Brexit, to reverse it, and in America to lever President Trump out of office. Because for the left, they understand the stakes could not be higher. It's not simply a question of Britain leaving the European Union. It's not simply a question of a particular man who happens to have been elected. Um, It's a threat to the fundamental project that the left has been engaged on for the last half century to unmake the West. And it's a fight to the death. And who knows how it's going to end? But I did think, and I do think, that between them, Brexit and Trump offer the first hope and probably the only hope that the West has of surviving. And who knows who's going to win this terrible fight. All right, so when I come back, i got to get a break in here. When we come back, I'd like to talk about you know, the Brexit vote and things of that nature, are, are, the, are the folks over in Britain looking at the policies that have gone on for the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years about bringing in so many, you know, Muslims into to England? I mean, I understand that there's places in England, as there are in France, that are kind of like no-go zones and things of that nature. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you can tell me all about it when we come back. How's that sound? Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it. So Dave Ellswick Show here on 96.5 FM. We're live from CPAC, and we'll be back in a moment. We are at uh, CPAC in Washington, D.C., or just outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, we've had some great interviews today. we still got a couple more coming up in the last hour that you will not want to miss. But uh, right now, we've got Melanie Phillips with us. She is uh, from somebody across the pond, as it used to be called that way. And uh, I'm always interested in having people coming on from over in England because Ellswick is a pure English name. And uh, we got a little town, evidently, somewhere that is over in Britain. And you got Ellswick Bicycle Company and Ellswick Gunpowder Company and Ellswick Shipbuilders and... I, I've never been back. To, I've never been over there, and I want to get over there. Your town. I love, yeah, absolutely. They should give me the key to the city. <laughs> should they? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I won't ask for it. But, no, I, I'm looking forward to coming over, and uh, we've taken our family back. We know that we were Saxons. We know all of that kind of stuff. So I, I just have uh, an affinity for, for Britain. I mean, even though, you know, we were under the rule of Britain, we got a lot of the things that we believe in from Britain. And you, you were right, what you said earlier in the interview. Uh, so many things came from, from England that were unheard of in the world. The Magna Carta is probably one of the greatest documents. We've got it right here in our, uh, our, our, our own archives. Mm-hmm. And you can look at it. I get to see one of the originals. I go, when I go and look at the Constitution, the next thing I go look at is the Magna Carta. Right. Because it, it was the, well, the, the, yeah. the, the torchbearer, so to England speak. England is a mothership. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a excellent stuff. If you've never read it, you need to read it. You'll be surprised at what they were thinking back then about freedom of men and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I left you with a question. And, and if you want to talk about it and, or don't want to talk about it, that's fine with me. 
But I have heard that uh, there is a big shift in thought about uh, the Muslim po population uh, in Britain with the, the mayor of London, is it not, that uh, is a Muslim? Mm -hmm. And uh, that there are areas that the Muslims, like in France, have no-go zones. They don't, want, mm -hmm. they don't want people that are, you know, English nationalists to, to be coming into their area. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that going on? This is an exaggeration, I'm afraid. Okay, all right. America looks at it through a very um, black-and-white perspective. England or Britain is not France. Well, it's a yeah. very different situation. <laughs> Historically, that has really been the case. The um, Islamist situation in France is out of control. Um, and in places like Sweden, uh, the police say, we can't cope. That's not true in Britain. We don't have no-go areas in the way that France does. I understand a no-go area to be. You can't okay. bring in the authority of the state into that area. No okay. bring in the police. We don't have that. We do have Muslim enclaves, which have been allowed to develop informal uh, governance, which is separate from um, English law. That's they, dangerous, though. They govern by Sharia law. And that is not just dangerous, but it's basically anti-democratic, because well, yeah. the essence of a liberal democracy is that you have one rule of law for all. And in my view, and I wrote a book a long time ago, 2006, called Londonistan, about the way in which the British state had not taken the action it should have taken to prevent um, Islamic uh, radicalism in the country and to prevent the sort of encroachment upon what should be um, core British ideas. In other words, you have to lay down a line. In my view, a liberal democracy should say to Muslims, like anybody else, you're welcome to come here. Like everybody else, you're welcome to practice your faith as a private matter. Correct. To co set up communities of faith as a private matter. But we all live under one rule of law, and there's an overarching set of values to which you must subscribe. Now, we never said that in Britain. And because we, th we said to ourselves that was racist and discriminatory. And that was a bad mistake. And that's been the, also the mistake in Europe. So it is a problem. There's no question about it. Has, it, has it gone too far now? Can it, can it be pulled back? It, the, with every year that passes, it becomes more difficult to pull back. But I think what people in America often don't realize, people in America are understandably very concerned about Islamization. You have it here. You have it encroaching here. But I think what people perhaps don't fit, really fully appreciate is that there are genuinely many, many millions of Muslims who come to Britain who are no threat because they are cultural Muslims. Uh -huh. They come from Muslim backgrounds. They come from Muslim families. But they don't subscribe in the sense of subscribing to the religion. Now, it's perfectly true. There are many Muslims who call themselves moderate who are not. Um, and that is a problem. It's a sort of confusion of language. So it is a very complex issue. Um, the hope of all of us in the world has to be that Islam will reform itself. And I think, again, there are too few of us who are prepared to say there are some extremely courageous Muslims out there who are trying to reform their religion, genuinely to reform it. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Um, and if we say all Muslims are the same, then we cut the ground from under their feet. We have to hope and pray they will reform it. You know, in the Middle Ages, it would have been unthinkable for Christianity to have been reformed. Nobody would have thought it. 
and yet it did. Yeah, during the Inquisition. Exactly, but it did. Who would have thought it? If we were sitting here in the Middle Ages, we would have said to each other, my goodness, this Christianity is terrible, they're burning so many people. Mm-hmm. We would have said it. that was in the religion. It's all a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of political will. And the West really should be putting its head, its, its muscle behind those in the Muslim world who are trying genuinely to reform it. Well, we're not. We're either pretending, on the one hand, like the left does, it's nothing to do with Islam. It's anti-Islamic to say that Islamic terrorism is Islamic terrorism, which is monstrously stupid and wrong. Or on the other hand, we're saying all Muslims are incorrigible and Islam is, unreform- is, is not reformable. Either way, it's wrong. Uh, so I think we're, you know, both ways, we're, 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 we haven't got this right. I had a, a former CIA operative on today, and uh, she told me that the biggest mistake the West is making right now is not taking the available uh, avenues that we have been give, given, like in Iran, where you've got a sizable part of the population that wants to come out Precisely. under the, the mullahs. Precisely. And, and being told, some of the politicians being told when they say, we need, I think this is great, and then from the left they get shouted down and then they shut up. They need to talk louder. Absolutely. We know from the former Soviet Union how important it was for the, for the point of view of the dissidents, the refuseniks in the Soviet Union. They relied upon knowing that the West was behind them. And, you know, it takes such courage to overturn tyranny. Yeah, because you get killed. Precisely. For going and so up against people them. will only do it if they feel the world is behind them. If they feel the world is indifferent to them, they won't do it. And I think what we've failed to do in Iran is just appalling because we are continuing to fail to do it. We should be supporting all these people. Well, yeah, because <coughs> Iran is stirring the pot big time, attacking Israel now. You've got uh, Iran, uh, you know, supporting Hezbollah, Hamas, and all the rest. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're formerly used to be called the Persian Empire. They've still got big eyes about being a huge world power. Well, absolutely. And unfortunately, the policies of appeasement by America until Donald Trump and um, uh, Europe have empowered Iran to advance itself as a, the world's principal terrorist state and to consolidate and expand its power in the region. Um, and I don't think the current Trump administration has got its head around this either. It's making the right noises, but it's not actually you know, putting its money where its mouth is. Now, I'll tell you what, if you want to look at something that reflects another point in history, you look at what's going on with Iran and what we're doing with them, and we're playing Britain dealing with the Nazis just before World War II. Well, very, very true. You know, we deny that Chamberlain, you know, peace at any cost. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. Not good. Exactly. You can't tell the other side what your game plan is because you get in trouble. We've forgotten all these great lessons that we once understood. We, for- we seem to have forgotten them. Well, they're not being taught anymore. No, this is very true. I mean, in our high schools, World War II is not taught anymore. And beyond that, if you, if you, take a, if you enroll in a course in war studies, you're taught conflict resolution. Mm, yeah. Everything can be negotiated away. Uh, everything 
is a matter of compromise. There is nobody in the world who is not susceptible to appeals to their self-interest. I mean, hello? You've got people who believe they're doing the work of God. They're not going to be respons- responsible to appeals to their self-interest. But it's very much, you know, the West believes you know, you've got God versus the devil. You put them in a room and, you know, you bang their heads together and you split the difference. I mean, this is madness. Yeah. yeah. That's where we are in the West. Wish you could have talked to Obama. I w- I'm very glad I didn't speak to him. I hear time, that. Frankly. I hear that. It's one of uh, one of the um, benefits of my life that I never actually had to speak to President Obama. Uh, I never went to the White House all eight years. Melanie, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. It's very called, much. It, it, the book's called Guardian Angels, and, and you can pick it up on Amazon. I think I'll buy it tonight. Very good. Um, I would encourage I you to do that. It. I want to read it. Thanks so I'm much. I'm obliged. Thank you for Appreciate having you. me on your show. It's been a pleasure. All righty. Heading out, 2 o'clock tomorrow. Be back. We'll be here at CPAC, and we'll have, uh, well, we still, I still got another, I'm looking at the, <laughs> the time in Eastern. I got I was going to say. I've got another hour. I'll be back with an hour with you from CPAC. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. What? Do you need more volume? Do I what? Need more volume. No. Oh, okay. All right, back at CPAC. Curtis Ellis is here. You remember Curtis. Curtis has been on the show many times. Uh, during the election cycle, we had him on a lot. He was on last year from here in CPAC. As uh, I, I would say, maybe every quarter and a half we've had you yeah. on the show. Yeah, going back you a got few a lot years. of things to talk about, a lot of interesting things to talk about. So you, you're here at CPAC again. It's it's a kind of different CPAC. Have yes, you noticed it is. that? I certainly have. You know who's missing? Uh, Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. <laughs> Glenn Beck is not here because he hates Trump. Right. And everybody here loves Trump. Yes, they do. There is no question about it. This is the Trump pack. How can you hate a president who has done so many things, right, that even Glenn wanted done? Swing the Supreme Court towards the right Yeah. Gorsuch. All right, he did that. Uh, Get rid of the ridiculous regulatory uh, weight on businesses. Trump has done that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got... Tax reform, which Glenn Beck wanted, he's done, done. that. He, I don't understand. I mean, I, maybe you don't care for the guy on a personal level, 
But right. you look at him at a presidential level, right? And you got to go along with what his, administra- his administration has has accomplished in one year. Exactly, exactly. You got to look at it that way. I it, I've worked for bosses. I've worked in companies where I didn't like everything about the boss, but he did a good job. He kept the company running, making profit, and. The uh, the directives he laid down actually made everything better. So you know you don't have to like the color of his hair, you don't have to like the cut of his suit, but if he you gets the job done, like, you don't have to like how he talks. You don't have to like what he does in his personal life. He's got one job because he's right. a CEO, and that is to keep the company running forward. And that's what this president has done. He started running us forward again. Right. Exactly right. He's got this economy moving again as he promised. He said we cut taxes, we get these trade deals on a fair footing so we're not competing at a disadvantage. We cut back the regulation and we will get the economy moving again. And it started. All right. So Curtis. Yes. Here's my here's my big thing about all of this that I'm loving. I'm, I'm loving this. Right. Is that You'll remember first time we talked was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And you remember during the Obama administration, they said 2 to 2.4% growth in the economy was the new the, the new the new the new norm. norm. That's the best yeah. we could do. That's the best we can do. Yeah. What's going on right now? Like 4 Five percent in some cases. It's three percent uh, plus three percent over three percent, and it's just getting started. It yeah, could and a insert- lot of the stuff that's coming on hasn't even kicked in yet. That's right. And the other thing that Obama said was, and the Democrats, I remember John Kerry in two thousand four when he ran, said those jobs that went to China, those jobs that went to Mexico, they're not they're, coming. They're back. not coming back. Yeah. They're not coming. They're never coming back. And anybody who tells you they are is just selling you a bill of goods. Well, guess what? After this tax cut, Chrysler said, we're going to build our next plant in Michigan, not Mexico. After President Trump got tough with the South Koreans about the washing machines, they said, we're going to build them in South Carolina and Tennessee. Those jobs, guess what? They're coming coming back. back, They're coming back. And they're going to come back even more now that our corporate tax rate is down to 21 percent that's right that's right after we stop punishing companies for investing here and stop rewarding them and pushing them away they will be here it's great tell me curtis if it's not a telling sign when you read the stories from across the pond in england and france and in germany and they're talking about hey we need to get together sit down and talk about this because America is going to strip our businesses from us. <laughs> That's right. Which is what they've been doing to us That's for decades. Yes. They've been underselling us, undercutting us by not taxing their businesses, by telling American companies, come here, you get a tax holiday. Yep. They're all worried about that. And the other thing, other interesting piece of information from Great Britain is after Brexit, they cut back on immigration the free flow of people from Mm -hmm. elsewhere and that wages are starting to go up and that's starting to happen here and that's how 
we can boost the wages of Americans even further. When we cut back on the supply of cheap labor, both legal and illegal, yes, or I should say both illegal and legal, mm-hmm. as President Trump keeps saying, let's cut back on this immigration, bring in people with skills, not just bring in anybody who said Joe sent me. Uncle Joe said I should come over, so here I am. Now yeah. go on welfare until I find myself a job, you know, picking up cans, empty cans, and returning them. No. Bring in people who have valuable skills that we don't have. Marketable skills. If they don't have marketable skills, they don't come in. And he just issued regulations the other day saying that you can't go on welfare. You can't be on food stamps. You can't be on, if you're an immigrant or a green card holder, you can't do that. That disqualifies it. And everybody was like up in arms about this. Well, anyway, all of this immigration has put a downward pressure on wages, simple supply and demand, mm-hmm. oversupply of cheap labor. The poor folks who never, gra- or I shouldn't say poor, the people who never graduated high school and are looking for jobs, they're the ones hurt most. It's not these fancy pants people and, you know, talk show hosts, present company excluded, the people on CNN. <laughs> they're not competing for those jobs. Right. They're not competing with Mexicans and Chinese and, you know, Pakistanis and everybody else, Somalis. No. They're not competing with them, but it's the folks, the working people of America, the, the, the carpenters, the roofers. We can drive their wages up very simply by, by restricting the influx of more labor. Okay, so I heard from Grover Norquist today. Yes. And he explained to me, he schooled me today on the air, which I was happy about. Because <clears throat> he, you know, if I want to talk about taxes and things, I talk to Grover. Right. Well, Grover was talking about the infrastructure bill that the president has out there. And you know that everybody, Republicans and conservative Republicans and whatnot, are, uh, you know, worried about the price tag. Mm-hmm. The, the $1.5 trillion, which is not what the federal government's going to put directly into it. That's $300 billion. Right. Then states have put in money, and then you'll have uh, private firms that get involved as well. But Grover said the whole saying if if the president can get the regulatory uh, uh, process down to where to get a ability to build a road or build a building down from 10 years Mm -hmm. to two years, and he said in in many cases probably one year. Mm -hmm. You know how much that will save us in 10 years? Well, uh, I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago not, in my column. Nobody's three, talking about this. Three and a half trillion dollars by one estimate. Grover said six trillion dollars. Six trillion dollars. So that's it. When the when people say, well, the federal government, according to Donald Trump's federal government, is only going to put in $200 billion or $300 billion. No, they're actually going to be putting in $6,300,000,000. To the plus column. To the plus column by getting rid of the regulations. That adds, that, that that saves money. I mean, that, come on, Curtis. I love rabbits as much as anybody else. <laughs> but I remember when... I used to I, shoot them and eat them. Yeah, <laughs> when I was living up in northwest Indiana where I'm raised at, I was born in Gary. Gary wanted to extend their runway on their uh, airport. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to extend it because O'Hara was handling only what they could handle. They right. couldn't handle anymore. So Gary wanted to be kind of the sub-airport. And right. people fly into Gary, kind of like in Baltimore, I guess, would you yeah, say. Exactly, yeah. So to extend their airport or the runway 
far enough, they were ready to do it and got stopped by the environmentalist mm -hmm. because there was a, and I'm air quotes here, special rabbit oh. that grew in up in that area. And to protect the rabbit, they refused to extend the runway. Right. Now, this was back during the, uh, the Clinton administration. Mm -hmm. And we all remember how the Clinton administration kowtowed to the environmentalists. Right. And so they didn't build that. And what ended up happening is that they lost hundreds of job opportunities because of that. Yeah, but the rabbits are happy. Yeah, they're real happy. Yeah, now the little people, bunny foo foo <clears throat> needs to be sent in there. Now, what about the people who live near the airport? Are, are they allowed to eat those rabbits? No, <laughs> no, they just starve, they or just starve. or they go on a government program, or they go on a government program. I mean, this really gets to the point. The Democrats really feel that the government should be at the center of everything, and Absolutely. that's not, and that is not just a talking point. The Obama administration, in its last several budgets that it submitted to Congress, called for something called wage insurance. Now, you've heard of unemployment insurance. Yes. You're out of work. The government sends you a check until you can find another job. Well, they wanted wage insurance. So even when you do have a job, according to the Democrats, all those jobs aren't coming back, and all that's left are you know crummy, low-paying jobs. But don't worry. The government will make up the difference. So everybody, even people working, would be dependent on the government for survival. That's not the America that we grew up in. Curtis, the government is worse than what the South was. <laughs> they want to make slaves of right. everybody. That's right. That's right. They want to put everybody on their plantation. Exactly. That's, that is the program that they have in mind. And that's why... Nancy Pelosi and the rest of these folks are just, they're, they're going crazy. They're beyond, they're beyond themselves right now, and I love watching To it. see people actually making a living on their own. They don't have to come begging for food stamps. They don't have to come begging us for something, some handout to survive. Uh, that's not... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed Trums. to work. <laughs> Trumps, unpatriotic. Right. All the things they say about what's going on while the American worker laughs at them. Right. And they're laughing at them. Only 38% were sold on the the uh, president's tax plan, according to New York Times right. when it was passed. Now, 51% approve of it. Mm -hmm. Now, Republicans have come around. I mean, they're up to 89% that approve. But Democrats went from 8% to 19%. Even a Democrat knows when he's getting more money. Right. And a lot of Democrats voted for Donald Trump. Yes, they did. The last time around. You go to Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan and it's Wisconsin. Not Re it's not Reagan Democrats anymore. It's Trump, Trump Democrats. Democrats. That's exactly that's right. what's going on. And that's what we saw here. One of the things I noticed in CPAC, President Trump is changing. the. His impact is felt here at CPAC, in the Republican Party, in the conservative movement. He's changed the narrative. That's right. He's changed the issues. He's changed the outlook. Before, the conservative movement was almost becoming like this academic, scholastic, monastic movement where you'd sit around and debate the fine points
elements of theology of conservatism. Donald Trump's brought it back to reality. It's got to be about the people, about making their lives better, making their pay better, making their jobs better, making their culture better, safer, making this country more together. It's not about some, you know, theoretical dispute over uh, free trade theory from 1802 or something. Yeah, I agree. Curtis Ellis, a guest, he's going to be with us for the rest of this half hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stick with us. 20 minutes after 5 there in uh, Little Rock. I hear that it's continuing to rain in copious amounts. But look at it this way. Is that, is that a suburb of Little Rock? Copious amounts? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, bottom line is this. They've taken down all the burn ban signs. <laughs> the Dave Ellswick Show from CPAC here on 96.5 FM, The Answer. Yeah, um, be sure that you go to the Americans uh, for Prosperity uh, website and get involved. Uh, we're going to need everybody's help come November to make sure that Republicans are elected uh, and put back into power, not the Nancy Pelosi, Char- Charlie, little Charlie Schumer uh, <laughs> uh, military. Look, I, I just turned 65 this last Thursday. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I can, I can remember, you know, um, Johnson and the Great Society and, yep. and all of that I that he brought on. Yep. And you should never vote Democrat. <laughs> I'm just telling you. It, the last Democrat that had a, somewhat of, a, of a, uh, a conservative bone in their bodies were the ones that were, you know, Kennedy Mm-hmm. Democrats. Yeah. They had at least some vestiges of remembering what America was about. Since that point, it has totally changed. And Kennedy was distrusted by the by the left wing of the party. Of course he Eleanor was. Roosevelt was not thrilled with Jack Kennedy. Oh, when he and says that a rising a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. I'm sure she didn't like that either. No. Exactly. Yeah, the rich get a little bit, too, but you know what? If they get a little bit, that's not such a bad thing because uh, you're going to get your share, too. And he was an anti-communist, and they didn't Well, they most didn't Democrats that. were at that back time. At th- back in that time, they were. Now, now, they're, now, now they're pro-Islamic. Yeah, What can true. I say? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So l- let's talk about the Mueller probe. Do you think, now that we're seeing that there's... There's really nothing there that the emperor has no clothes. I know that the the Democrats want to keep this water stirred up. Right. But they've done about just about everything they can, and they've not shown any any kind of culpability from this administration. So are we maybe heading towards the end of this? I would hope so, but I don't think so. I'm afraid not. I think that Bob Mueller is on a mission to destroy Donald Trump and to cripple, if not destroy, this presidency. And he will stop at nothing to do that. Because, as you said, so far there's been no evidence of any collusion or coordination or uh, conscious contact between the campaign and the Russians. More collusion with the... Clinton campaign than with the Trump campaign, but the media doesn't 
report on that. That's right. They cover that up. Yes, they do. They cover it up, except for Fox News Channel. No one else in the mainstream media reports on it. And I should not call it mainstream because it's out of the mainstream. No one in the corporate media reports on that. The fact that as more evidence comes out, it shows that high-ranking people in the government abused the powers of surveillance and spying. They abused that to target their political enemies, which, by the way, going back to the 1960s, is exactly what J. Edgar Hoover did to target his political enemies. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King, the uh, civil rights leaders, the Black Panthers. He even had dirt on the Kennedy brothers. Anybody, he had dirt on everybody, and he'd blackmail them. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and, way it, that's, that's way it worked. And, that and the Democrats at that time were all up in arms about it. But now uh, the shoe's on the other foot. And, uh, but but the, actually, it's even gone beyond that now. The story has progressed that we see from the latest indictments of Bob Mueller, indicting these Russian uh, people, these Russian trolls, these Russian Facebook trolls who are posting phony stories and organizing anti-Trump rallies, uh, as well as pro-Trump rallies, we see that actually it's the Democrats who are colluding with the Russians, with this fake dossier. Mm-hmm. British spy uses Russian disinformation to influence the FBI and to influence our election. That's exactly what Bob Mueller indicted other people for. When are the indictments going to come down? All right. Curtis, we're out of time. Great Coming up at Fox uh, News, I'll have you back on by phone when I get back home. All right. Thank you, sir. Take care. Back for the last uh, segment of our broadcast today from CPAC. We will do this again tomorrow and let you know that we get couple of big, big guests tomorrow. Uh, we've got Sebastian Gorka that will join us at 3.30 and go with us until uh, 4 o'clock. Bob Dane's going to be by from FAIR, talk about immigration reform. Uh, and then I'm bringing back a lot of inter- uh, interviews that we did, a pre-interviews uh, that uh, you won't want to miss over the next couple of weeks that you'll be hearing uh, from folks that you've seen on Fox News and you've heard about their books and things of that nature. Uh, the hottest one right now, uh, I get to do the interview tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have uh, Major Hussing on uh, from the Ramadi, about the Ramadi book, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about, about that. But right now, interesting book and then a couple of movies that are going on with Mark Joseph. He's got a book that the foreword was written by Alice Cooper, which is really interesting that Alice would write a foreword of a book. Um, I, I don't see Alice as being a big-time reader, but that's okay. That's okay. I mean, uh, he's one of my favorite rock and roll artists to be, uh, uh, you know, exactly. I mean, Killer was a killer album. It really was. Rock Gets Religion is the name of the book. The Battle for the Soul of the Devil's Music. And that's what it was called back in the 70s, back in the 50s even. But really in the 70s it came to a a head. And uh, Mark Joseph is here to talk to us about his new book and a couple of movies that he's working on. So let's talk about the book first, Mark. Let's do it. What made you want to write a book about rock and roll again? Well, first of all, I think I'm the only guy at this conference with a Johnny Cash T-shirt on. Well, I got my Breitbart. Yeah, you got that. You and I are the renegades here. A lot of suit and ties here. Not me. 
but uh, but we're keeping it real. You know, uh, I, I wrote this book. It's funny you talk about Alice Cooper. I got the cover back. Originally, I had just asked Alice for a one or two line blurb. Uh huh. And I got the cover back from the publisher, and I thought, you know what? I got to go back in and ask for the whole thing because this is an Alice Cooper cover. Right. Okay. Looks like something that he would do. So I went back, and he was gracious enough to give me a, a forward instead. You know, uh, this is the kind of the untold story of how, uh, you know, especially people of faith, uh, more conservative Americans have really gotten into rock and roll and as artists, as recording artists over the last 25 years. Uh, there's a couple things that happened. So first of all, since you mentioned Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper is an interesting example. What In previous generations, let's say Elvis Presley goes to his pastor and says, I'm a rock, I want to play rock and roll. And the preacher says, hey, that's the devil's music. You got to get out of that. Right, you can't right. do that. So you got to choose between God or rock and roll. And that happened a lot. Alice Cooper uh, becomes a born-again Christian, goes to his pastor, and the pastor says, he's like, what should I do now? Do I, you know, I'm sure he was thinking, do I cut my hair and go back to the name Vincent Fernier and go sing Amazing Grace at churches uh-huh. across America? Just picture that for a second, right? His preacher says, he said, does God make mistakes? And Cooper says, well, no. He's like, well, then go with what you have. He's given you this shtick of being Alice Cooper, change the content, and go do your thing again. That sounds simple, but it was revolutionary. That changed really the nature of rock and roll. So a lot of guys like Alice, instead of leaving and singing hymns, have stayed put and done their thing. The second phenomenon is Justin Bieber. Believe it or not, Justin Bieber is raised by a very devout Christian mom. But instead of sending him to Nashville and becoming a Christian rock star, he stays and, and is a pop star who was really informed by his, by his faith. There's a great moment in the book where he comes out in Rolling Stone, I think it was, uh, sort of saying abortion is not a good idea. And he's scolded by the old ladies on The View. How dare you talk about... So it's, it's just think about the implications. You've got the number one pop rock star being scolded by a bunch of old ladies who are from the 60s because he's not progressive enough for them. Yeah. So that's the second strain is young artists. The third one is artists like bands like Switchfoot, who started in Christian rock oh, yeah. and have gone mainstream. And then the fourth is American Idol. American Idol has had a major impact. If you think about it, you seem like you're a rock and roll guy. The uh, artists uh, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. There you go. The 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s artists were all basically picked by like five white guys in Hollywood. David Geffen, Clive Davis. If you didn't pass their test, you didn't become a rock That's star. right. So American Idol upends the whole thing because suddenly instead of David Geffen or Clive Davis, it's Hank from Cleveland and Susie from Winnetka picking our rock and pop stars. So all of a sudden the choices that they would never have made in the 70s, 80s, 90s are being thrust upon us as our new pop and rock stars. Let me ask you a question. Do you think YouTube... YouTube, you too, would have been signed the way they were if they had known. Well, the first of all, is, is very Christian. The name U2, they chose that intentionally. It's the name of a spy plane. They saw themselves as like spies going into the land. And I've, there's an incredible uh, audio I've heard of them in an early Bible study where they describe we are consider ourselves like spies going into the land. Mm-hmm. So they were very careful about showing a little bit leg as they went along and not quite revealing the full magnitude of their religious faith. I mean, Joshua Tree... Yeah. is a hugely Christian album. Well, Joshua Tree means Jesus and the cross. Yes, like, I so know. <laughs> people don't even realize that to this day. It's like, it's a tree out in the desert. No, it's actually a way to describe Joshua is, is the word for Jesus and tree, so it's Jesus' cross. Um, yeah, I mean... I, I would you say, didn't know that, Val? I thought it was a place in Arizona. Yeah, see? It worked. Yeah, right. it did Isn't work. It, it is 
Joshua Trees. Yeah, it, it is. Joshua National Park out there, but that's not what they were talking right. about. It is, yeah. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. It's it's a whole symbolism. But you know, they have an they have like one of the most deeply theological songs in history yes, called they, Grace. Yeah. Remember that song? I mean, Grace, it's the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. Then they say Grace operates outside of karma. I'm like that's that's a pretty heavy theological description <laughs> yeah. of Christianity. Yeah, it just goes to show that people listen to the music and don't listen to the words a lot of times. Well, you know, I think that happened with... Anymore you can't. <laughs> I think it happened with Jesus and his parables, too, right? Yeah. Some people got it. Some people were like, well, that's a weird story. <laughs> so I think you kind of leave it to the listener. The listener's going to figure it out or not figure it out, and, and he was okay with that. Yeah, but what was the song that did, uh, you know, one... Gosh, you can't think how the, the song goes, but it talks about Christ's death on the cross. You too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There've been a and, lot of, a and lot of people. Songs. People just it just eludes them. It's like they they're blind to a lot of the stuff that they're saying, and uh, that's why they do the good that they do in the world. Well, where the streets have no name is about heaven. It's the only place where the streets have no names, right? That makes so, sense. I never thought of that. Either. There you go. So there's a lot of depth to you too. And look at sometimes you figure it out when you're older in life. You, you figure it out later, and that's okay. You know, you don't have to beat people over the head. And now I, I, all the people that you've said this to now know. There you go. They have they, now they can go back and listen to the songs, and hear a completely different meaning to those songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, I worked in the Chronicles of Narnia. And look at half the audience said that's a movie about a cute lion. And the oh, other was a great and the other half said that like movie. that lion is Jesus Christ. And you know they all enjoyed it. And the people who th- who didn't who thought it was a lion maybe later in life it'll come back to their memory. And so you have to let people deal with the art and the way they perceive it and not say How hey you, yeah. yeah this is wrong. Or, Give it away. Okay, so while I got you talking about that, and let me ask one question before we go to break, and then I want to come back and talk about the movies. And and that is. When you look at uh, movies, there seems to be two distinct lines of thought amongst the Christian community about movies. Right. They either have to kind of preach. Right. Or, like uh, the apostle, you know, they don't preach, but there's all kinds of Christian principles in it. Right. You know, are, are we starting to shake that out a little bit so maybe it's all coming together as a whole? Um, there still is a tendency among the Christian community to be too preachy. It's just part of uh, part of the DNA. And, you know, sometimes in a bad Christian movie, they will actually have the the uh, conversion scene play again over the credits. Yes. As if you missed it the first two times. Mm-hmm. Here's the third time. All I can say is I watched... Did you see a movie called The Butler? About yes. the White House Butler. Yes. So... Uh, the White House. When I watched The Butler, I realized how secular people must feel in over in excessively religious movies. Because here, I just finished watching this great movie about the White House Butler, and the last three minutes becomes a commercial for the reelection of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know what? I feel betrayed as a viewer because now I know what you guys are up to. You guys are just trying to get me to vote for Obama. So you told this great story about a butler, and now you're trying to convince me to vote for Obama. And I'm like, I'm not down for that. You tricked me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how more secular people feel when they, they tell it. We tell a great story, and the last three minutes are, you know, uh, become a Christian, become a Christian. That's not how art works. You've got to be more subtle. You've got to let people come to their own conclusions. And really, think of what Jesus Christ did. He told parables 
And then he was hoping that you would figure it out after he told you the parable. He didn't come in and say, oh, by the way, this was this and that was that. And mm-hmm. then he let your mind process the information. And that's important. Let those who have here ears Let him who hear. has ears hear. That's exactly right. You know, Ronald Reagan was a storyteller. You know, when I was 12 years old, I heard Ronald Reagan say about abortion, if you come to the side of the road and there's a baby and you're not sure if it's dead or alive, do you pick it up or do you kick it into the ditch? He says, you always pick it up if you're not sure what it is. So he said, if we're not sure what a fetus is inside of mother's womb, we always err on the side of life. We give it the break. I was 12. I'm like, that makes sense. That That makes sense. I get it. Nobody else explains stuff like that. The Bushes, the Romneys, nobody explains anything except for Reagan would tell us stuff like that. The 12-year-olds. Yeah. Okay, Mark Joseph will be with us when we come back. His book, by the way, Rock Gets Religion. You need to pick it up and read it. You'll learn more about YouTube even. All right, YouTube. I keep YouTube on YouTube. YouTube. I'm so YouTube is on YouTube. Yes, YouTube is on YouTube. All right, it's a a quarter (laughs) till the top of the hour. Let's take a break. We'll come back. He's working on a Dennis Prager movie that's coming up, and he's working on a movie about former President Reagan. That's coming your way when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, eight and a half minutes uh, left. Don't forget about Mark Joseph's new book, Rock Gets Religion. I told him that they get a big bump on Amazon after he was on my show. I can't so wait to see what don't happens. Don't make me a liar. <laughs> All right. All those great people Buy the in Little book. Rock. Put it on your Kindle. And when can I come out and visit you? Whenever you want yeah, to. Excellent. You do speeches? Absolutely. I'll get, I'll get you out there to do a speech. I can't wait. That will be fun. Dennis Prager. Should I visit the library as well when I'm out there or not? I have, you mean the trailer on stilts? Yeah, I have not <laughs> stepped foot. I want to get to there. the penthouse. I hear there's a lot of interesting things I going on. I wouldn't. <laughs> I would not want to go to that. But it's kind of a petri dish, so yeah, be right? careful. That's what I was there. going for. So you tell, you tell us, uh, Dennis Prager, yeah. how did you get to know Dennis and how. I mean, Adam Carolla, yeah. this whole nine yards on their movie. No, listen, uh, I'm a Hollywood guy. Adam's a Hollywood guy. And uh, I've kind of known Dennis a little bit throughout the years. And I've been on his show and different things. And somehow it came together that we had an idea for this No Safe Spaces concept. And uh, I brought it to uh, Tim Allen. Uh, and Tim said, you know what, let's do a narrative instead. So we're working on that. And then we thought, well, Dennis and Adam might be right for this. And so we all got together. And before you know it, it was happening. We're probably three quarters of the way done filming it right now. It's going to be a blast. I mean, it's Adam Carolla. Dennis Prager is actually a very funny guy. It's a different kind of humor than Adam's. But it's a, what it's, a big surprise. It's a, it's, a, it's a combo film. We call it a docudrama. It's not okay. a documentary. We're going to recreate scenes from their childhood, both of them. They've got great stories. And they're just unlike, they're an unlikely duo, right? You've got this... uh, The odd couple. Yeah, very serious, all these degrees. And then you've got Adam, who, you know, graduated high school. And uh, so it's going to be, we've interviewed people like Van Jones, like Alan Dershowitz, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, Tim Allen. We have a comedy roundtable with Tim Allen talking about how political correctness is killing comedy. Well, man, he can talk about it now after his TV show got mm-hmm. the axe. Yep. That was one of my favorite TV sh- I loved that show, Last Man Standing. That's the problem. You loved it, and uh, they didn't like that. Right. Um, but, you know, you can't be funny anymore. How, I mean, if you can't offend, you can't be funny. And people, these comedians are terrified to go on college campuses now because if they see one thing wrong that goes on YouTube and the PC police come out so we're having fun with this uh, but you know, uh, you know Alan Dershowitz interestingly enough he's a great guy he's a man of the left 
and he says my greatest enemies are on the political left. Yeah, mine too. Uh, because he he says that I'm not worried about five Nazis in Cleveland. That doesn't scare me. But what scares me is this impetus to shut people up. And so he talks very candidly. Van Jones, a great interview. He says, uh, he says, look, pr- protecting your physical safety, of course. Protecting your emotional safety, he's like, we don't, we don't do that. That's not what we're about. And That's so, not what the, the, he said the left doesn't Correct. Do he that. says we shouldn't be doing that. Oh, they shouldn't yeah. be doing it because they are doing it. That's right. Yeah. Trying That's right. To, in their minds, they are doing yeah. it. And Jones said that? So we, we have yeah. two very important thinkers on the left, and then we have people on the right like Jordan Peterson, or I guess he's somewhere in the middle. Anyway, it's going to be a great movie. It's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. It's not going to be like your grandparents' documentary that you watch on the, on the History Channel. We'll be in theaters with it, and we'll have a blast. I'll make you, uh, I'll make you a deal. When that movie, when do you think that movie will hit? Theater? In the fall. In the fall, when it happens, and we do it in Little Rock because the Riverdale Ten, I know, will play it. Okay, we'll bring you in to, the, to speak. Before. The Riverdale Ten, it is. All right, I be will great. be there. We'll we'll talk to you, and, and cl- I'll clean up the penthouse. By the way, until I get there, <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get you down to ten dollars for the appearance and, and plane fare. I'd we'll like to visit. We'll let you touch the dress. <laughs> yeah, <There you> go. <laughs> no, no, the dress no, no. is not there. <laughs> I know, no, I'm still kidding. Where is the dress? <laughs> I, I, I Smithsonian? She's got it in her closet, probably. She, no, I don't think so. Evidence? The last person had Ken it. Ken Starr. Linda Ken was Ken. the last one that had it, and I'm sure that Ken Starr has it somewhere. It's packed away in his away. stuff. Yeah, oh. somewhere. Put that on eBay. You get, like, what? How much would you get for it? How much would you get for that dress? A lot. A million bucks? Yeah, maybe so, maybe more. Maybe more. I mean, it's got his DNA on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's talk <laughs> just about wrong. the other movie you're working yeah. on, because I hadn't heard that there was a new movie coming out about Reagan, and what are you doing with, about yeah, our greatest uh, president? Absolutely. You know, we've taken uh, a lot of time to develop this movie right. I hired the writer from uh, Clint Eastwood's Space Cowboys Okay. to write the screenplay for Reagan. It's just called Reagan. And... Um, I've got a team of great actors. I think who have we announced so far? I think we've announced a John Voight. Uh, we've got the actor to play Ronald Reagan. That took me a long time to get that guy. I wish I could tell you, I could spell it out to you, but uh, but I might you know I might get in trouble. We'll announce that in May. Okay. And uh, you'll you'll be very pleased with that actor. And we've got a great supporting team around him. We'll make those announcements too. So this one will probably be I mean you know knock on wood, but probably next year in the fall. We'll have it ready. We probably will start shooting this fall in Georgia. And uh, it's going to be, it's a, it's a great, great story about a very interesting man told through the voice of the KGB agent who followed him for 40 years. Oh, wow. 40 years? 40 years. Now, there were a lot of KGB I mean, agents who followed him. You're talking about the 40 mule team from Borax if you're talking 40 years. Well, there were, there, <laughs> there were a number. So Reagan gets on the Soviet radar in 1947 yep. because he's in the HUAC hearings. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's actually, I believe, in Izvestia, the Soviet newspaper at that point. So they know this guy could be trouble, but not serious enough to be taken seriously. So yeah. uh, he had a lot. Of, he had a number of agents, but we put it all into one guy named Victor. And so uh, the setup for the story is Victor is following Reagan for 35, 40 years, knows him like the back of his hand. And, you I mean, you have to imagine that Soviet agents were probably like throwing women at him and doing all kinds of crazy yeah, things, sure. right? Yeah. Trying to get him to do something uh, crazy. And Reagan never would fall for that stuff. It's a great story. Yeah. Three great presidents of the United States. George Washington. Reagan. Ronald Reagan. And the one that we have now. Those that's are the a, that's, three greatest presidents I know of. 
I like Hoover. And Nobody I, else does, I'm, but I'm I like Hoover. I'm 65, so I did not live during the time of George Washington. I wished I had. We have a Herbert Hoover fan in the house. Yes. I like. You know why I like Hoover? No. Simply for the reason that during the Great Depression, he would send his paycheck, like Donald Trump. No. Send his paycheck to people who that would write to him and tell him they had fallen on hard times. Instead of giving them a taxpayer handout, wow. Wow. he would mail them his money. Wow. Sounds like a congressional delegations from the time that Daniel Boone was in Congress. Well, and also he refused to instill a a social net, like a welfare system, because he was afraid that we would be a society dependent on welfare. And what are we now? Hmm. All right, so, Mark, we've just formed the Herbert Hoover fan club. We can get that together. Yeah. So I got to get you back on my show. I'll, Love it. I'll get that information from you after we go off the air. Mark Joseph, our guest, new book is called Rock Gets Religion, Don't Make Me a Liar. Go to Amazon.com and buy your Kindle version of it right now. I'll buy mine tonight as well, even though I've got the hard copy right here. Mark, I appreciate you. Good Thanks to be with so you. so much. It was great. I got other things I'd like to talk to you about, maybe come back on my show because I'm a big movie uh, guy. We do a classic movie from the Dave Ellswick Show every month. We're getting ready to do Clockwork Orange. Then we're coming back with Gone with the Wind. Got to do that. We've already sold four theaters out for Gone with the Wind. Can't wait to visit the studio. Gonna, yeah, you got to come there. We got all kinds of conservative artifacts there. We'll take a break. I'll be back with you, too, tomorrow. Be there as well. We've got some great, great guests. See you then. Bye, guys. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.